Podcast. My name's Mike. Hi, I'm Emma. This is episode 98, Backstreet's Back. We're back, baby. <laughs> we have um, had a little bit of a hiatus, unplanned, mm. um, for recent episodes. I think the um, we recorded this intro to episode 98 back in August, uh, over a month ago now, mm. and um, we were not be- we were not well. We haven't been. Well, we've had a sickness go through the house, we've had coughing fits and lost voices and all sorts of stuff, but we're back. We're not going to bother trying to catch up with most of the news, we're just going to kind of jump right in and... Well, it wouldn't be new anymore, would it? It would be no. old. Um, so we've got some key takeaways from Gen Con, and some new action figures, and a new app, and a few other bits and pieces, and then we're going to jump in and talk about WATC for 2021, which has been and gone, and uh, what we've got left for the rest of the year for events... Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we're just going to kind of do a, a catch-up episode for for this one. So why don't we? Um, we'll start with the news straight away. Great plan. Um, we picked up a McFarlane um, artist's version, which is kind of the unpainted version for our son for the space space intercessor, intercessor when that first came out. Mm-hmm. And then I grabbed, so these are the what are they? Ten inches? Uh, yeah, eight to ten inch tall. Yeah. Um, and then I picked up a Sister of Battle recently, and we've managed to get our hands on an unpainted Hellblaster as well mm-hmm. for us on for his birthday. And they've just announced the next round of eight action figures coming from McFarlane Toys. Does it feel f- weird to you that they're called action figures? No. Okay. They have actions. They move. Okay. <laughs> so we are going to get the Primaris Reaver with a bolt carbine painted. Um, the one thing I will say about the paint jobs for these... Um, McFarlane miniature, oh, not miniatures, action figures. Figures. <laughs> the um, the paint jobs are not the standard of the Bandai ones, mm. and I see a lot of people even buying the painted versions and then repainting them. Yeah, um, because they are really basic paint jobs. But I think that there's nothing to stop you doing that. You no, know? Like, I think we struggled to get the unpainted versions for a while, and it was certainly one of the things that I was considering was getting a painted version that our son could then... Just undercoat and... Just undercoat and... Go again. Well, they're releasing the Reaver. They're also giving us an alternate Reaver, the Artist's Proof, the unpainted version. Mm -hmm. This one has a partially unhelmeted head and also has the the grapnel launcher and a dagger instead of the bolt carbine. That was grapnel with a G, not a C, how it came out (laughs) the first time. (laughs) Oh, look, everyone who knows me about this, um, there's a miniature for this at for the standard space marine range and it's shooting the grapnel mm-hmm. and in my mind it looks ridiculous and it's the worst part of the kit because it'll snap the moment you use it and I have a few friends who laugh and insist when they build these for their armies they put that, that miniature in just to make me look at it when we go to tournaments so when I'm judging painting I have to see it 
They get marked down as a result, but um, <laughs> that is not true. Uh, we've then can't got, admit to things like that. We've then got the new orc Meganob with Shooter, and I can't help but think this is a huge miss for what it should be. Yeah. Um, when you compare the um, the orc Meganob miniature to what this is, the orc Meganobs have have gone through quite a you know, variety of different um, styles and sizes over the years, and this just kind of it looks like it's it's kind of half the armor it doesn't look like it's complete so when you when you sort of think about the mega armored i'm just going to try and find a pitch here for emma um the mega armored boxes three models and they are big heavy chunky looking things yeah i've seen them they're covered in armor mm-hmm. and you know you got the power claw and the combi weapon mm-hmm. there's not much skin showing there well, I mean, there's a little bit of head and maybe a tiny bit of arm. The McFarlane one, obviously, you've got the jaw that's going to slot in yeah. over his... But, like, his arms are quite exposed. Do you know what? That's actually not why it's a miss for me, I don't think. Mm. It just doesn't look big and beefy for me, either. It doesn't look anywhere like the bulk that the, the miniatures have. Mm. Um, and then we get an alternate version of it with a different head and buzz saws for the... Uh, I think they're called kill saws. feels like it's the wrong shape. You know, they should be more sort of squat and wider and, like you say, it's not bulky. It's just not bulky enough. There's yeah. no... I think it, part of it's to do with the shoulders because there's no... Like, they're not broad enough and not wide enough. It's a human proportion, but it's green and it just feels weird. And it's it's a really fake green. I mean, you know, obviously for the real life, <laughs> it should be a more realistic orc green. <laughs> it does need... At the very least, it needs a darker green wash over yeah. the top of it because orcs get darker... As they get older and oh, bigger. So maybe he's a young bloke. That's why he's, but he's so an, skinny. He's a, and but he's a mega knob. Yeah. So yeah, that doesn't work. No. We then also get a Big Mac. And it's better. Well, this is another weird one because the Big Mac, um, he's another mega armored model. Yeah. So, but he still has the same weird proportion issues and the. I still feel like he's better. He's not. He's not good, but I still feel like it's better. Scroll up again. He doesn't feel as thin. Yeah. And, and maybe it's... I think the second one with the kill the buzzsaws, or they call it buzzsaws, I think they're actually kill saws in the, in the rules. Um, he's the worst of the three because his head's too like, too high. It's like it's sticking out of... It's got a cone of shame. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, I nearly took that in way too far. Yep. <laughs> but I pulled myself back. <laughs> we then also get an artist's proof for the Big Mac um, with an alternate head and from the looks of it, um, just sort of little tweaks to what it is. Is it an alternate head? No, it's not an alternate no. head. It's literally just an unpainted yeah, it's version. Unpainted. Yep. Yeah. Uh, we're then getting a Tyranid Gene Stealer, which I love. Oh, yeah, I like that. The, again, you know, I'm not normally a fan of Tyranids. I, I want to wash over it just to add some muscle definition around its shoulders yeah, but and even stuff. So, but it looks I still cool. like it. Yeah, I really like it. Uh, and then when they get the Yamagal Artist's Proof version, I like that as well. With the tentacle face yeah. and the scything talon upper arms. I think both of these really lend themselves to be action figures. Like, yeah, they, yeah, they yeah. don't have to be human proportion. They can look weird and creepy. And I think they'll look really good beside Space Marines. I think they'd look really good next to He-Man. Yes. <laughs> but not the new He-Man. We don't talk about the new He-Man. Oh, no. Clearly, I'm talking um, about He-Man from the 80s. Yes. Obviously. Good. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I really like the both of the Gene Stealers. Mm. Um, and it gives me hope for what we might see for some of the other creatures from the future. Like, I'm really keen to see what they do with a Croot, 
from the tower range. Um, and some of the gene style cot hybrids should be really cool as well. Um, but then again, I'm also looking at some of the other, like the Reavers and like the Reavers I'm indifferent to, the Orcs, I'm kind of, I think it's a miss for me. And a bit worried what happens when they finally do Eldar or Drakari or Harlequins. I think when you're invested, it makes it harder. So, you know, I I swing both ways with the Orcs. Like I think sometimes, sometimes I really love Orcs and then I think, oh God, I'm so over them. They're just done to death. But deep down, I do have an affinity for orcs, so I feel really sad. She said this morning that she was upset that I gave away the um, the big box at WATC. I was. I really was. <laughs> anyway, it's fine. I'll get over it. Um, but yeah, so I think that when you when you have an affinity for something, when you kind of look at it and go, "But you did it wrong." Yeah. And whereas, and you know, I think that's it. The gene stealers, we both can kind of go, that just looks cool. Yeah, yeah. Because there's no, no investment in it. It's well, like I said, normally I'm not a huge fan of Tyranids or GSC. So, but I like it. I actually think I prefer the standard one. Oh, no. I, I like, like the, the head on head. the Yamagal. Yeah. But I don't like the sighting talents. Oh, no, I do. I'd much rather it have this, the traditional no, claws. No, I, I definitely prefer the scything talons. Okay. Yeah. So we do have these coming out, which, you know, I, I'm i actually a really big fan of these sorts of things to add to your, your sort of collection in terms of, particularly the artist proof, because they're a different scale of painting and it'll let you do things. And for your aging eyes, it feels yeah. like maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and just like that, we're moving on. So <laughs> I don't know when these are out. Um, these have all been previewed. So... They'll be coming soon, I suspect. And like, Did it not say at the top? Well, I'm assuming like a lot of these, these will sell out pretty quickly because they're always limited limited releases. These were previewed on the 13th of September, so they're only about a week out from recording time. Um, they always sell out in store pretty quickly, and once yeah. they're gone, they're gone. So I'll have to make sure we keep an eye out for the Gene Stealers because I'd really love to get my hands on those. Mm. Um, staying at that scale, we also have new Space Marines from Joy Toy. Now, ignoring the name. <laughs> Which, <yep>. really? <laughs> I'm struggling to ignore that name. <laughs> but let's just try and keep on moving. So, um, this is... Again, odd. Yeah, so... Like, what the hell's going on with those skinny mini waists and long skinny legs? <laughs> so, these are the incursors and infiltrators. I really want to make, you know, I'm not body shaming... <laughs> These well, your body, your body shaming joy toy models, yeah. Um, so these are a collaboration, much like McFarlane and Bandai. This is a collaboration between GW and Joy Toy. These are sets of four Space Marines uh, available from the web store for uh, between the 25th of September. So by the time you're hearing this, they should be available. And the 3rd of October. So you're either getting... Um, I will say, as much as you know the shape, I kind of go, what's going on? I do like the unhelmeted picture. Well, the interesting part about this is these are only about five inches tall. Okay. These are four four point seven five inches tall, twelve centimeters. So you're talking uh, fifty four mil scale. They're probably just shy of or just over fifty four mil mm-hmm. in terms of um, like they did the Inquisitor range back in the two thousands. Twenty five points of articulation, which is more than the McFarlane ones, which are all twenty two ish points. They're all pre painted. I, for looking at these, the paint job on these is significantly yeah. better than the McFarlane ones based on the pictures we have. 
Um, and you do get a boatload, like so you get combat knives, holstered pistols, pistols, different hands, backpacks, the mine, the carbine. Um, and then you've obviously got each of them having a different sort of style of head. Up close, you can see the paint job, particularly on the skin, isn't sort of super high end. Yeah, but you got to remember it's an action figure. It is. Um, but like they've gone to the point of weathering around the knees and around the toes, and there's a lot of lots gone into it. To be fair, they they're really like solid in terms of paint jobs. Mm. You might um, like I'm looking at it going. If I really wanted to, I'd probably paint the um, the casing on the bolter just to break up the shape because it's all just metal. Mm. But it doesn't need much, and I'm sure there'll be people out that um, you know make these look absolutely stunning. So it's two different sets of four is what the notes say. Yeah. Um, because you've got incursors and infiltrators. So they're slightly different in terms of... Which their, one's which? I forget which is which. One's got... You see the different backpacks show you the two different units. Okay. Well, I like the bottom picture better. Um, now I'm going to have to go and figure out which one's which. So we'll have to go back to Games Workshop's website and see what they are. Um, so you, like, you actually prefer the one that's holding the mine. I think those are infiltrators. I think... Yeah. Whereas the incursors, I think, have the big spiky backpacks, like all the antenna and that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting to see them going to another scale. Um, because what? Who do you think their target audience is? Well, ultimately, I think that question has to be. So the incursors have the. So you you like the incursors? Okay. With the infiltrators, have the spiky backpack got the wrong way around? Um, I think the question also has to be how much are these going to cost? Because the McFarlane toys, the eight-inch ones, the, whether it's artist-proof or painted, yeah. you're paying about forty Australian dollars for between thirty-five and forty-five, depending on which one. I think they've all been around that sort of price range. I know that the but okay, so I'm um, when you look at the price of that compared to a Monster High doll. You're looking at or the Barbies same. and stuff, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Barbies you can now pick up pretty cheap. And I don't know whether or not they still do Monster High Dolls, to be fair. But when you're looking at those kinds of action figures, you're looking at about that $30, $35, $40 yeah. mark. So it's not like it's just... It's not out of the range of action figures. It's not out of the range of dolls. kids for toys. Yeah. Kids for toys. Toys for kids. <laughs> so I don't really understand where these are going to sit, though. Because... They're not sort of that full-size action figure that you would have with, um, you know, like, like you're talking about. But you're also, like, these are too big to be scale miniatures. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. That's why I'm asking what the, um, who the target audience is likely to be. Is it that it's for people who are collectors who want to have a different scale of figures on their shelf? Or, I mean, I'm probably... I don't think that's the tagline that they're going to go with. Probably not. You know, buy your loved one a cute little figure to put on your shelf from <laughs> Joy Toys. Um, so, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I'm just I'm interested in whether or not are they aiming this at grown men playing with toy soldiers, or are they aiming this at children? You'd have to assume that this is going to be what a hundred dollars for the four at least. Jeez. Like I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, being, yeah. you know, like thinking about it. Mm, these are that's a lot. You know, these are they're not small, but they're not big either. Yeah, I just so when I talk about the hobby um, with you know people I work with who have 
absolutely no idea. And it's so funny watching them try to get their head around it. Oh, so it's like this. Well, no. But anyway, you know, I talk about the fact that there are lots of different elements to the hobby. So there is, you know, there's reading the books, there's the law that goes with it, there's buying the models, which in itself is a hobby all by itself. But then there's, you know, building them and painting them and then playing with them. The only part of the hobby that this is, is buying them and putting them on a shelf. Mm. There's nothing else to do with it. No, that's it. It's not like they belong part of the game. It's not no. like there's anything else that's scaled to match them. Yeah, whereas... You know, I could see someone going, let's play Kill Team at this scale if there were other yeah, but when there's miniatures available. And so, you know, you could, if you're looking at things for, you know, how many times do we see pictures of um, guys who play with their young children who are painting for yeah. the first time or something like that, or we will often when we're out go, when your kids were little, how did you keep them out of playing with your um, your models like well we often didn't we gave them their own so they had things and then you know so this is an option that you could give to children but at a hundred dollars for four well and that might be that might be me underpricing them yeah there's no real way of knowing are these going to be like the McFarlane's are twice the size but 40 bucks Mm. you know are these going to be 150 dollars for four 200 dollars for four like the quality on them seems to be higher than the McFarlane's yeah. The Bandai ones went for between, like the, the last Bandai, the captain that we saw was like $550. Wow. So who yeah. knows? And that price point could easily be detrimental to their sales or it might just be a case of, you know, Games Workshop hobbyists are collectors at heart in the first place. So all of a sudden it's like, oh, cool. Yeah, okay, they're Ultramarines. They might not be everyone's stick, but again, there's nothing stopping you. From the looks of it, they're intended to be at least partially pulled apart because there's alternate hands and the backpacks are separate and the scopes are separate and, you know, there'd be nothing stopping you doing what you do with the McFarlane's. But that's what made me wonder whether or not who the target audience was because I look at this and I think that actually looks like a children's toy. But this, I think, looks less like a children's toy than do the you? McFarlane. No, I don't. I actually think that's more like a children's toy because it's got the, it's got all the interchangeable bits. So, basically, I see that like... When you buy a Barbie and you get different shoes and a different dress with her. Oh, okay. That's interesting. So, you know, I can actually see people playing with these in a doll's house. I reckon these are going to be just slightly bigger than the old G.I. Joes. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking of them like. And in which case, mm, who's their target audience? Mm, very strange. But, you know, our children are older. Do children play with action figures? Yeah, or is it all digital now? And mm. are these just purely collector's pieces for the, the... In which case, how many men who are in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 20s, 80s, whatever, are going to be pulling the different bits off to change the weapon in his hands? Oh, yeah. this week he's going to hold a knife and a bolter pistol. Like, you know? <laughs> pew, pew, pew. Yeah, I'm going to get way too into it. The only action figure I still have here is Kane from Legacy of Kane. He came with an alternate hand, one shooting lightning and one that didn't. And I think the lightning one looked crap. So in all the years I've had him, he's only ever stood in one pose and he's only ever had the one hand. You tell me you don't go out to the dungeon and play with the little miniature toys that you've got out there and change their posts no. and weapons. Oh, that's a surprise. <laughs> Well, on that note, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna move on. Um, it'll be interesting to see how much these do retail for. We'll keep an eye out for them, and we'll probably share them on the Facebook page when they do show up in a couple of days' time. Um, if they come in at a reasonable price point, I'd almost be inclined to buy them to see what we get to compare them with the McFarlane's. Um, but 
you know, if they're going to be more than sort of 70 or 80 bucks for the four, then I feel like it's probably going to be a miss. Can we just go and visit Games Workshop and just see have them a in look? person? Yeah. It depends on if they they haven't had any oh, of the McFarlane true, ones yeah. open. So we'll see. Yeah, but you should at least be able to see, like with the McFarlane ones, the packaging's clear. You can clear. see through the packaging, yeah. And you would hope that you'd be able to see oh. through the packaging. I've, I've never heard of Joy Toy, and a lot of things that Wouldn't are called they... Joy Toys don't exactly have clear packaging. Well, <laughs> I'm going to go back to the thing of it being like a G.I. Joe. So you can see what you're getting. You can see what you're getting. You yeah. can see all the different accessories that he comes with and I've the different noticed, hair and the different headbands. I've just noticed he's got a little hole in his thigh for where you plug the um, the holster for the, the pistol or mm. the knives in. So the McFarlane ones Which, you actually to have me, to... me, is like the Barbie thing. Well, the McFarlane ones you have to heat up. You have to put in hot water to be able to disassemble them to be able to paint them. Whereas this one, I think you're right. I think this is way more like a... Like a kid's toy. Yeah. Interesting. You know, if they come out at thirty or forty dollars for the pack of four, then woohoo! But I don't think it'll be that cheap. Mm, me neither. So, we're going to move on from action figures, and there is the new Age of Sigmar app. Mm. Now I've downloaded this and had a quick flick through it um, because the app is free. It is beta testing at the moment, and um, basically at the moment, um, I think it's still um at the moment, uh, it's still free to try. So you get the army builder and everything like that. I don't know how long that free period is actually going to last, mind you. Mm. Um, we have a Warhammer Plus account subscription, so we'll continue to have access to it as it goes. It's If you've already used the 40K app, it feels very familiar. Except if you're used to using the AOS app, maybe it is not a, so It much. is a big step away, yeah. Mm. Um so they've basically called um, the army builder component of it Stormforge. Mm-hmm. But like when you look at the screenshots of it, you've got the references Stormforge and the core rules, which is exactly the same as the 40K app, yeah. which goes references, and then I think they call their army builder Battleforge, and then the core rules as well. So the way it lays out is exactly the same. What's interesting is there's no mention of the codes for the battle ah. for the the age of sigma stuff for the codexes um you probably not called that oh no here we go the the article does say use the codes that come with them to unlock their allegiance abilities match play and war scroll sections in the app straight away so at the moment um because there are no current army books mm-hmm. you actually have access to all of the old books ah. and i assume it'll be exactly like the 40k one where as the old books dis- are retired. Uh, they'll yeah. disappear, and the new one you have to enter the code. Yeah. So at the moment, all the Broken Realms books are there. That's the most interesting one. Is that like all the most recent books are there mm. um, and free at the moment? Which they didn't do with Forty K. No. So yeah, look if you've if you've already played with the Forty K app, you'll know what you're getting into. Okay, I've got a couple of things. Have Shoot. you finished? So one of the things that I've been seeing coming up a lot is that. Um, fantasies now becoming available. Uh, it is coming back. Yeah, they're going to release the old world at some point. They told us that a couple of years ago. Okay, so we're still waiting on a couple of years ago. They said it was going to take at least three years to do, but we've basically had no updates or anything since they said they were going to do it. I knew that they'd said it a few years ago, but just with what I'd been reading, I um, I had assumed that there had been a more recent update that I had missed. But, you know, the stuff that I was reading made me think that it was really imminent 
and we were expecting it in the next month or two. We've had Total War Warhammer, which is still the old world. Mm. Um, I think we're up to number three has just been previewed with Cathay and some of the stuff they never did in miniatures. Mm. So whether or not there's an expectation from the community because of that release that we're, we're going to see it imminently, I don't know. Um, it's interesting that they're still doing those. I'm assuming there was some sort of deal struck with whoever the production house is for mm. Total War on PC. But there's nothing to indicate at the moment we're getting any sort of army build or anything like that. It's interesting as well that Warhammer Plus still doesn't give us any access to Blood Bowl, Necromunda, mm. um, um, Kill Team, any of those sorts of subsidiary, Adeptus Satanicus, yeah. Aeronautica. There's no mention of it anywhere in Warhammer Plus. It's only focusing on AOS and 40K. That's a beautiful segue because that was the next thing I wanted to talk about. Uh, we've now had Warhammer Plus for, what, six, eight weeks? Something like that? No, it's like four weeks. Oh, is it? Time's the very unusual thing at the moment. Yep. What are your thoughts on it? Um, so Warhammer Wednesday isn't really Wednesday for us. Because well, no, it's Warhammer Thursday because by the time they Yeah, do the, time, the time difference means it's very late Wednesday most yeah. of the time. Um, I've noticed I can generally get on and watch the Wednesday releases by about 8 o'clock at night, 9 o'clock at night on the Wednesday if oh, I'm lucky. It's still Wednesday. Yeah, but I haven't really been keeping an eye on it because sometimes if I've gotten up to let dogs out, I'll put it back on, put it on at like midnight and not really know when it's come out. I've 100% noticed that. Um, so the painting masterclasses um, have been really good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting watching... They're, they're sort of between 15 and 30 minute episodes of different techniques and stuff, which has been quite cool to watch. I haven't watched the law. There's only one Lawmaster episode at the moment, which is on a badden. Mm-hmm. I started watching it and then I don't remember why I stopped, but I stopped and haven't finished watching it. The animations, we got the three episodes that kicked off for Hammer and Bolter and we haven't had any updates for Hammer and Bolter since its release. But we have, well, I think we've had four episodes now of, so there we go, it's four weeks in. It's mm. five, five weeks this Wednesday. Um, That's today. Which is today. Yeah. Um, for the Angels of Death. Uh, Angels of Death? Angels of Blood? I forget. The Blood Angels one. Yeah. Um, so we've had four episodes of that so far. And they're between 17 and 25 minutes each. Yeah. And they've actually been really good. The, I pre- ironically, I prefer the animation style of Hammer and Bolter. To the Blood Angels one. The Blood Angels one is um, very Sin City, black and white with splashes of red. Uh, and that's all it is. Yeah. I think the thing that puts me off the most is actually the faces. Mm. The faces, sometimes they sync up really well with the voice acting uh, and sometimes yeah. they don't quite line up and the, the way the cheeks move and stuff just still feels a bit off. It's a really good animation and the fight sequences are really well choreographed. You can tell what's going on, which is nice. Um. And each episode kind of is pushing forward and you don't like you don't need too much of a reference point to know what's going on. Yeah. So um, you know, they're slowly building characters and stuff and then they've just been ambushed in the last episode and all hell's breaking loose, so it'd be interesting to see how many of them survive. But um I'm really looking forward to when they start giving us more than because at the moment, like it's say, you, you watch this twenty minute episode of Angels of Death, you watch a painting masterclass and that's oh, and the battle reports. The battle reports are actually quite well done. Are the are the battle reports though? Are they any different to what you were getting for free previously? In terms of for Games Workshop, I haven't really done them okay. before. 
um, the camera quality and the audio and the lighting and everything is obviously far above pretty much what anyone else is doing. Yeah. The scenery, I can see being really conflicting for for players because it looks gorgeous, mm, but it's not reflective of any of the compet. Like they've called they've, the first one's a match play game, mm. and they're. The, you, they have a conversation at the start that they record and show you. That it's like, oh, this counts as this, and this counts as this, and this counts as this. And this piece of terrain, this much of it's going to be obscuring because it's got ruins on, but this mart isn't going to be obscuring because it doesn't have ruins on. And then this bit, God. and I've just gone, okay, it's not, it's it's match play, cool. It's not organised play. Which it isn't because there's only two of them playing. Yeah. And that's something that we do talk about often is, you know, just because a new model comes out, just because a new codex comes out, whatever, you doesn't mean you have to change the way you're playing if your opponent is happy with that. Yeah. I guess that I can see why people would be conflicted over it because, yeah, it looks cool, but it's not reflective of what we're experiencing at events. No. So I feel like there's an opportunity there for them to take the layouts that Mike Brandt designed for the US Open events, mm. whack them on a table and actually play out some games using that like I'm sure that Nottingham doesn't even need to ship them from the US they could reproduce that instantly yeah and do some games with it yeah and and use it as part of the thing that they did a um they did a sort of a smaller thousand point version and they also did the last one I watched was a narrative game mm-hmm. um recreating part of Mortarian's invasion of Ultramar and they were lopsided armies and there were reinforcements for the bad guys and the victory conditions were Either this guy lives or dies. The end. And it was... I actually enjoyed watching it. It was an hour long. I had it running where I paid attention to probably two-thirds of it. Mm-hmm. And it was quite enjoyable to watch. Yeah. It's not a tactical genius, like, showcase of how to win a tournament, but it was entertaining. But it's not supposed to be a tactical genius. No, exactly. Of, and I think it could be useful to have some of those there that talk you through that. Um, but it's not. That's not what it set out to be. I don't believe. No. Um, I've watched one of the AOS ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't. Wa- I don't even know if there's more than one AOS one there. To be fair, the first one I watched was actually just the starter box. Um, the starter box episode, which was, it wasn't even the uh, Dominion box. It was the, the actual starter box game. So it's probably okay. more like seven hundred fifty or a thousand points. It wasn't. Like it was missing a big section of yeah. Dominion. Um, so I'm just going to have a quick look here while I've got the app in front of me. Um, so the it looks like there is only one AOS one at the moment, which is that one. Mm. And I would wonder whether that's because they're about to release the new Battle Tomes and they don't want to publish content from old books that are about to be superseded. Why not? It's only a guess. They haven't been superseded yet. No, they haven't. But you know, obviously, we don't know what the release schedule's like. No. Um, okay, so back to what you were saying before, that yeah, you're getting a battle report and a you know, 20-minute video. I'm probably getting an hour's worth of content a week at the moment. That hour worth of content a week, though, is costing $2.50. Um... Is it even that? Is it ten bucks a month? It was ninety nine dollars for twelve months. Okay, so no, it's not even that. Maybe two dollars. So 
and that's not including the miniature. Mm. So yeah, like it's it's not costing much at all. So I can kind of live with that. Yeah. I'm just going to have a look and see if um, if there's anything new in the vault because um, I haven't checked that since we first looked at it, which may have been in the intro that we've just trashed for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, they have added more to it. So the vault, um, when we first checked it, was reasonably extensive. This is significantly more extensive. So we've got all 30 episodes, uh, 30 copies of Warhammer Visions from Games Workshop, which was sort of a subsidiary, subsidiary, oh my God, <laughs> to um, when White Dwarf was kind of split in two. And we got a thin version in the, the art book. So we've got all 30 of those. We've got White Dwarf, all of 2020, and all of 2021 up to June. Oh, wow, that's really cool. So, if you go into those, because you know how sometimes in the White Dwarfs they've got the rules, things around the rules in there. Have they been left, and they've been removed in previ- in the older ones, have they been removed in the more recent ones? I'm just going to jump in now, and for some reason, despite me clicking the link from my Warhammer account, it hasn't so automatically signed me in, so that was super helpful. Mm. Um so we've go we go back to January 2020 is the um is the earliest white dwarf which is issue 450 um i'm just trying to remember which which one the harlequin rules came out in i think it was 454 i'm just going to open it now so these open this is may 2020's issue mm-hmm. so it's what 15 months 15 16 months old now it's opening it in, I wish this was part of the app. This is my biggest complaint, is that you can't get to the vault without going through a web browser. Yeah. And I feel like there should be... It should be in one spot. Like, mm. anyway. Um, so, it's a 164-page PDF. And it looks like it is page for page the White Dwarf. So, the index is still in there for Xenos. Well, I'm just going to jump up to... I think it was around there. Um, where the Harlequins, the Harlequins entry should be, mm. but this has got the Galactic War Zones painting guide. Well, the painting guides, yes, that doesn't change. But I thought that you'd said in older episode, older episodes, older editions, they'd removed the um, rules things about so the, previous editions. So those, so this has still got rules for the old kill team in it, mm. um, which is interesting. You would have thought those would have come out, given they've just released the new version. Um, there's a campaign here for Age of Sigma, the Tale of Four Warbands, which is cool. That's all there as well. There's a battle report, which is obviously old AOS. It's AOS 2, not AOS 3. Mm. Warcry's in here. Where's the Harlequin stuff? Beastgrave. I don't remember it being at the back of the White Dwarf. Surely not. Blood Bowl, Middle Earth. This is a downside to PDFs. You can't scroll through. Black Library. Maybe it was right at the very start and I skipped past it when I jumped to page 50. Yep. Mm. I think, you know, often when you've got PDFs, you can see sort of the mini screens down the side and that can be really useful. I'm just trying to... um, Goff Orcs. Oh, he's just looking at the contents page. Yeah. Which Which I should have done at the very start. Yeah. I can't actually actually see the Harlequins bit listed. Maybe it's in a different... White Dwarf. 
The cover definitely says New Harlequin Rules. Okay, right. So maybe not. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> oh, here we go. 44. Let's see 44 and see what happens. Um, so all the pivotal roles are there. The solitaire, stratagems, relics. Yeah, it's all there. Mm. So it is a complete... It is the full white dwarf. When I know when they did it, though. Oh, we've now got white dwarf... We've got four copies from 2019 in here as well. Mm-hmm. January, January through April. April. The Warzone Fenris two books, they're both new. But I know when I looked through the Gathering Storm books, all the rules had been removed. Uh, it was those so ones, those right. campaign books, they kept the stories, yeah. but then just ripped all of the, the rules out because right. they weren't current. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming that if I opened up Warzone Fenris or War Gazgul or... Those sorts of, like the Sanctus Reach books, I'm assuming I'll find the same things. Mm-hmm. And then they've got Shadespire, Night Vault, Beastgrave, and Diachasm all here as the lore sections from yeah. those separate as well. Mm-hmm. So they are adding more to this. And it's it's actually building up a decent little pile at the that's moment. A, yeah, that's a heck of a library. Um, and obviously, they're clearly quite happy to give us the old copies of White Dwarves. Mm-hmm. Um, like it this. looks like they're adding forwards and backwards as well. Yeah. As in, you know, they're... Adding, what are we, how far behind are we? Three months behind? Well, the last White Dwarf that's in here is June, so... So, yeah, three months behind. Which isn't bad at all. No. So... So, they've added up to now and then they've gone back four months into um, into 2019, so... I'm assu- I wonder why there's no... Like, we've only got to April 2019. We don't have anything between May and December of 2019. That seems odd. I would have gone... You know, December, November, October. Yeah, whereas they've gone and to then, the start of the year. Yeah. Hmm. Look, as long as they keep adding those old white dwarves, I think that's a really positive thing. Mm. Um, because that's easy. Like, you can go, as a player, I never got a copy of my Harlequin rules as... Anyway, here it is. Mm. Here's an interesting thing for the um, the Wahama TV app. I was watching the painting masterclass on how to paint black power armor last night. Yep. And at the very end of it, they've got a screen that goes, these are all the colours we used. And I went... I was on my iPad. Mm. Oh, great. Screenshot. Black screen. Oh, so you can't screenshot it. I could it. not screenshot it. I tried it three different times and all I got was a black image. It would not screenshot it. And I don't I know why. I they've done that. Don't know. Haven't tried it on my phone, but it definitely just, my iPad just went, no, nah, there's nothing there. It's black. Wow. And I don't know whether, like all of these, there's no real options to download anything from the vault, yeah. which doesn't surprise me. Mm. Um... But I'm sure that some ingenious person out there could figure out a way to do it. Mm. But if this was more accessible, if it was part of the Warhammer TV app where it go, where there's a button that said go to the vault and yeah. it opened the web browser automatically for you or yeah. just made it some way accessible. Yeah. But, you know, they have added a bunch of stuff to it, which is great. So I don't feel like we've been ripped off so far. I watch it every week and I use the app, the 40K app regularly mm-hmm. for answering questions and stuff it's getting better and better the, every time they put a new codex in it there's a bunch of issues wrong and then over the preceding two to four of the following two to four weeks i should say um they fix it yeah the orc book had a bunch of issues in it and they're slowly being rectified then there's stealth updates as well mm. so um you know it's like the Drakari one had a whole bunch of errors in it and now it's basically perfect so we're getting there um, we've got a bunch of stuff to talk about from Gen Con. Um, we're going to go Blood Bowl, then we're going to go 
Underworlds, then we're going to go Kill Team, and then we're going to go 40k. Okay. Let's do this. We're going to zoom through it nice and quickly. Oh, I don't know about that. We got a long episode, so we haven't done one in a little while. We can take our time. Blood Bowl. Uh, the new corn team is coming. So there is the team. I am in love with this as a Blood Bowl team. So we get four Chaos Warriors, what look to be some sort of Beastman, Wolfman yeah. things, and then a bunch of sort of Humies to round that out. Mm-hmm. I... Huh. You know, I I think the um, I think it's a beastman based on the hooves, yeah. not a not a wolf, but yeah. it's definitely a wolf styled look. All the artwork that they've got done up, kind of. I don't know whether the art has influenced the model or the models have influenced the art, but they all kind of tie in really well. I really like the art. Um, they are really nice models. Yeah, they're. I can already see them being used for 40k and I can already see them being used for AOS for different things because yeah. all it's going to take is a hand swap here or a weapon swap yeah, here yeah. and they'll fit in really well. Maybe uh, get rid of the um, ball that's in one of their hands, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's interesting is I think these are some of the best proportion humans I've seen Games Workshop do. Mm. Like, yeah, they're big and muscly dudes, but they're not he-men. Like the 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 basic linemen or whatever you want to call them, they're ripped, but they're not gigantors. Yeah. And even the chaos warriors, who are clearly bigger and heavier looking, they still look better proportion than a lot of the human stuff that Games Workshop's done in recent years. Yeah. So I really like them. I don't know when they're coming out. Um, I think there's a comment here that we're going to see photos of them individually. Um in the next week or so. Mm-hmm. And we only got these previewed a couple of days ago. Yep. Uh, yesterday, actually, was the preview at time of recording. So, yeah, I think it's great they're still supporting Blood Bowl and still doing a good job with it because this could easily have been a fire and forget game and they've stuck to it. Mm. And Blood Bowl's got a huge fan base out there, so it'd be crazy not to stick with it. Most definitely. Then we get the new season of Warhammer Underworlds. If you've been following us for a while now... You know, we have a mixed relationship with Underworlds. Mm-hmm. It was an awesome game when they released it with Shadespire. Yeah. And then Season 2 was cool. And they introduced Magic, and that was fine. We're now five seasons. This is the fifth season? Yeah, it would be. Because we had Nighthaunt... Uh, sorry, Night, Nighthaunt, Nightvolt. But you just had them up before. Yeah, this there were four the of them. One. This is the fifth one. Yeah. So... So there's uh, it's Shadespire, Nightbolt, Diachasm, and Beastgrave. Beastgrave. This is Harrowdeep. Um, Plunge beneath the waves. So clearly we're going to get some Ideneth love here. We've already had the the famous crab. Um, we'll hopefully get some more Ideneth miniatures. And clearly we're also going to get the Cruel Boys faction at some point. Um, new tiles for the actual missions, like the the, the board tiles. Um, oh, here we go. Here are the Cruel Boys. Oh, they're interesting. Yeah. I don't really know what's going on with this. So this is interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was a thoughtful um, pause. <laughs> I don't know what to make of this. Mm, normally we can fill the silence, but no. Um, the Cunning Crew. Dark Cunning Crew. So I don't even know what that is. I'm assuming that's the Warband leader. He's got a raven on one shoulder, a big whip, a pitchfork. And a cage on his head? 
I don't really know what's going on with that. Any thoughts? I'd, I think that there's probably some reading that we should have done. <laughs> there's not it really probably explains it. There's there's not really much here to tell us. Are you sure? It just says the cruel boys are coming. Like, there's not that much text to go with this. Okay, I thought maybe I'd missed something. No, no, no. Um, we then get another goblin orc with a man catcher. Do you think that? Do you think they're dead? I don't think so. Okay. And okay, then, well, those ones aren't. And then we get a couple of grots and a um, hobgrot as well. I, I don't know. I don't know what to make of that warband at all. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be my first choice. Um, so they're facing off against Zandre's Truth Seekers, which are clearly Stormcast. Yeah. I kind of like these miniatures. I mean, Stormcast again are kind of getting a bit, yeah. you know, Stormcastian. These are the new style of Stormcast, though, so the proportions are better. They look, uh, I suppose, closer to. Like the new style from 3rd mm, edition. Yeah. The dude with the hammer is yeah, awesome. Yeah, no, pretty cool. Um, the archer's nice and dynamic. Yeah. It's not just shooting the bow. And we get a little Ooh, pretty bird. like. So, uh, I don't know what to make of that. Um, Me neither. Of that Cruel Boys Bad War I'm still in shock. <laughs> I'm sure that there's, um, there's going to be information as to how they fit in and what they're you know, what they are, but of the two warbands, if I was buying this to share, I'd be definitely saying, yeah, I'm going to keep the Stormcast. You know, do you, want, do you reckon? Do you want, do you want the, the uh, Cruel Boys? I don't mind the Grots. Uh, I don't know. It's, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't even feel like they belong with the Cruel Boys miniatures from Dominion, to be fair. No. It's weird, isn't it? Yes. And so he kind of looks like, so going back to the grots, he kind of looks like he's supposed to be a hangman. Well, you've got one that's missing at the, so the hobgrot has the sort of the executioner's yeah, mask yeah. on, but he's missing a hand. Yeah. And then the other two, one has obviously a ball and chain that he's looking to attach to someone. Oh, is that what that is? Well, that's what I th- that's yeah, what yeah, it, yeah, that's what it looks like it is. Well, it is, but there's some, something similar on a um, previous one that looks like a... The man yeah. catcher. Yeah. Right. And the man catcher's chained to the orc as well. So I wonder if, going by the visual cues, I wonder if this is a warband that focuses on manipulating movement rather than controlling the table otherwise, where they can slow you down and push you around and move you where you want, like where they want you to go. Which is another reason why you won't be playing with it. Why? <laughs> so, yeah, whereas I think the truth seekers, I'm not. I'm not sort of sold on the the chick with the lantern. Like it's yeah. a cool it's a cool model, but yeah. I'm not sold with the chick with the lantern. Whereas I quite the, like the, dude the, with hammer, the hammer, yeah, and even the archer. Yeah, and I really like the bird. So really, it's just the chick with the lantern that I was like, meh. So yeah, I guess we'll find out. Yep. Apparently, there's a celestial boar on someone's armor. Oh yeah. Ah, here we go. So. Yeah, she's got a. She's got a, what looks like an owl. I thought maybe it was an eagle. And he's got a boar. He's definitely got it. The archer's definitely yeah, got, the got the eagle. eagle. And then, yeah, I reckon that's an owl. Could be. It's very hard to tell from the side view. Mm, well, she's got it on her knee as well, but it's kind of looking right. at its forehead as well there, so it doesn't help. Yeah, the forehead does. The knee one does look more like an owl. Hmm. 
So these have been all revealed at Gen Con. You can find them on the um, Warhammer community site right now. Um, these literally came out about a week ago now, the Gen Con previews, because we're about a week after Gen Con. Um, so go and check it out. It'll be interesting to see how this is uptaken, uh, how this is taken up by the community, because obviously Underworlds was really big here at one point. Mm. And then as we've had shutdowns where we haven't been able to run events, or no one's been able to run events, they obviously cancelled the the international grand clash that was meant to happen at was it Nova or Adepticon that was hosting that in 2020? Sorry, I don't know. One of them was remember. meant to host it because one of our guys from Perth was meant to go. Oh, that's right. He got a golden ticket, didn't he? Well, he got because he's well, he won both the grand yeah, clashes yeah. we'd run. Um, so he was invited to go. And then we've kind of seen the game, at least locally. I know they're still being played at a small level, but there's been no events for it. There's been no... Mm. Um, and, you know, is it a case of burnout because you're spending... Like you're having to buy every warband to keep up with all the stuff you need and then there's yeah, bands I don't know, and all sorts. Then you've got things like, you know, look at how popular Magic the Gathering is and that's constantly a spend to win kind of game. Yeah, but you don't have to build and paint models. No, you don't. Um, I don't know. I wonder whether or not there's more people playing it than we realise because we've just been so immersed with just 40k for mm, that's true. the last two years, yeah. Two years because of everything that's happened. Look, I'm I'd be all up for it. My I'm my biggest disappointment with it is the two season thing, which means that unless you're playing I think the last was the last one, Diachasm or Beastgrave, I forget. Diachasm. I was gonna say Beastgrave. I don't remember. It was one of the two. Yeah. If you're playing anything older than that, then you, you have like you're having to move on. Well, you're not having to. We're still playing the first I mean, I'm one. I'm talking for at competitive. Home. Yes. Yeah. But I just want to reiterate that just because something new comes out doesn't mean you have to upgrade. No, that's you true. You can continue to play with friends or family with whatever you've got. Yeah, absolutely. And there's nothing like the, the original Shadespire game still works really well. Hmm. Interesting to see what we get. I mean, well, since we're going underwater, we'll definitely get another Ideneth <laughs> faction, I would assume. Um, after that, though, who knows? Hmm. We normally get eight warbands. So we've got the first two already. So I suppose whatever we get will give us some indications of what other factions we're likely to see from AOS for the next 12 months as well because they like to tie that stuff yeah, in. Yeah, So I guess we'll see soon. We're going to move on now to the new Kill Team box. Now, this is they're calling this a Kill Team expansion. Okay. So this is the new campaign box. Um, Chalnath... Ch- uh, Chalnath, yeah? I'd go Chalnath, yeah. Um, so it's Kill Team Chalnath leaves the Octarius sector, which is obviously the current box that's on shelves. So the Octarius box has obviously the Orc Commandos and the Death Corps of Creek veterans. Uh-huh. Yep. So we're now moving on to a different kill zone. Um, and this box... Oh, that's right, yes. So okay. this box features the Sisters of Battle and the Tau. Okay, so I'm just... Sorry... I've been out of it. I'm just dredging back through my memory. So the, I guess the idea that we had around this was that each box that would come out would come out with the board and the yeah. rule book. Has that is that what's happened? Well, it's a bit vague. Ah, uh, okay. Um, so this is, um, this is the reveal of Kill Team's next starter set. Okay. Yeah. So, so it sounds like it is this. 
Well, because there's a difference between an expansion and a starter set. Yeah, and this is uh, I'm kind of I'm not sure whether we're going to see this as a replacement for Octarius or whether it's one of the little releases that kind of slots mm-hmm. in around it because Octarius is obviously a splash release. Yeah, this gives so, us Sisters of Battle versus Tau. Mm-hmm. I'll and then we're also getting um, Imperial Ruins and the board. Right. Now, the Octarius obviously gave us the Orc Ruins and the board. So, this feels like kind of just another version of Octarius in that it's two complete factions, a table, like it's... So, is is this the three-month replacement for Octarius? And that's what you had predicted. Yeah. And um, then I felt quite stupid for saying, well, what if you want to play with different armies and you having to continually buy the, you know, getting the rules and the you know, different board, you're like, well, you just play with 40K models, Emma. You don't have to <laughs> buy them. I'm very pleased to say that I was not the only person that asked that. There were a lot of other people that I saw in different groups going, but, you know, am I going to have to rebuy the whole set every time? And I was like, no, you can just use your 40K models. <laughs> uh, but that seems to be a concern that a lot of people are having. But Well, that- the compendium was a big letdown for a lot of people oh, because yeah. the compendium, if you weren't playing the two factions that were in the box, the compendium gave you the most basic version of rules and said, there you go, you can yeah. play. And a lot of the time it didn't work for what players had been doing up until that point. Mm. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that we're going to get this cycle of splash release boxes where... At some point in time, they're going to release a box that includes plastic Eldar or Drakari or something like that, and I'm going to have to buy it. Of course you are. Have um, to. At the moment... We're really going to have to come up with a different uh, definition of have to. <laughs> well, I don't have to have this one. Mm. Um, I would like it, but I don't have mm. to have it. Um, so we've got Sisters of Battle um, facing off against Tau. What's interesting about these sisters is these are... I think they call them Novites... Novitiate. These aren't in the the Codex. These are brand new units that do not exist, which is super helpful since they've just published that friggin' Codex. Like, literally, that Codex is... I like the models, though. I really don't. Do Um, No. There's a surprise, you and I having different opinions. So, the the leader is clearly in power armor. She is clearly a sister of battle. She's even got the backpack and everything. Yeah. All the other ones aren't in power armor. It's like they're scouts. Right, keep scrolling through. So we get a chick with an eviscerator. We've then got you a... You like them. I really don't. Oh my goodness, I really not, do. Not at all. We've got um, a chick with a condemner bolt. I'm going to say bolt pistol. Mm. Um, and then we've got an auto gun with the magifier. We've got um, a chick with a a mace that looks like a sensor. And then we've got another one with... Do you know, I really... Oh, okay. Actually, I'm not going to say that because I'm going to sound like an idiot. What? What? Go on. <laughs> So she's holding a chalice of some sort, right? Yep. So I thought it was a tubler. And I oh, was you like, thought it was a drum? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, you know what I really love? I love that she's taking a tubler into battle and she's just going to stop so that she can have a bit of a drum and people can have a bit of a dance. But and um, turns out maybe not. <laughs> uh, and then we get. Even so, the fact she's taking a chalice into battle, I mean, it makes sense, but still. Uh, we get a, a whip wielding. I love mistress. that. Look, it's one of the, the best sets of whips on a model yeah. I've seen in a while. It's nice and dynamic. Um, I mean, we, a lot of that's probably the painting, um, but nice. We've got the Hospitala, as, or the Initiate Hospitala, the Medic. And then we've got um, like a duelist of some sort with a sword and dagger, and then someone who wants you to do her homework. Yeah. Um, 
I can't think of the name for her. There's a um, Di- Diagolos. Di- She's the one who preaches and... Yeah. Yeah. So they've got all the little sort of stereotypes of the sisters in here in individual models. Yeah. So we've got the squad leader, we've got the eviscerator, we've got the medic, and you know, they're... But I, they're not sisters of battle. Yeah, but they're cool. Uh, I don't... Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the heads that I don't like more than anything. Like, I, I just don't like the nun headdresses on them. I don't mind them. And then they're facing off against the tower. Oh, I like them. So these are the new... I think we should just stop and hold that for a minute because <laughs> who thought I would ever say that? So these are the new Pathfinder. Now, the tower Pathfinder kit isn't that old. So the fact that we're getting a brand new unit of Tau Pathfinders is really interesting. Yeah, the um, it's I, I'm I'm really surprised that we're getting new Pathfinders. I'm really surprised that I like them. So we've got um, sort of the generic Pathfinder and the squad leader with his red antenna, looking at a and holographic his, of some sort. His eyeball that's sticking out the side. <laughs> his <laughs> little scanner. Super cool. Um, look, we've got a, the first sort of pulse pistol. Mini- I don't think there's actually a miniature for the pulse, pulse pistol until now. Um, I don't know what the rifle is because that's clearly a pulse rifle with target locks on it, but I don't know what the what's going on with the barrels, whether they're silenced or something. And we've got some quite dynamic tau. Yeah. Um, new rail rifle, someone with a scanner looking through some sort of binocular thing going on. And then, you know, sort of there's, there's lots of different attachments on the guns. And then obviously there's we're getting... hardly any panel lining. Okay, well then you then, move then to you get the, the drones. Like, okay, actually, I take it back. So the the only thing consistent about the tower is these drones. These yeah. drones have been around for a long time, and it's funny because the gun drone's the oldest, and then the marker drone in the middle is the newer one, and then the big tall ones newer again. Yeah, I'm really not a fan of the drones. They look like they look like Lego. <laughs> you know what a fan of Lego I am. But yeah, so we are getting new Pathfinders. Mm. And like I say, this kit isn't. It's an update, and I actually want to say this is an update of the existing Pathfinder kit, which comes with a, an up, a comprehensive upgrade sprue to add a great number of options to an already flexible squad. Mm. So, I'm assuming that we're going to get a reboxed Pathfinder team at some point. Which I will... love it. They've obviously been listening to me saying how much I hate Tau. <laughs> <laughs> there are plenty of other units they could have done before that. Um, the ruins that we're getting look to be the older style of ruins. As in the eighth edition ones that they discontinued and took away to give us the ninth mm. edition ones. These looking at the shapes and the the shapes of the windows in particular tell me that this is the eighth edition set again. Yeah, we've got all of these left over. Quick, yeah. whack it in a box. <laughs> well, it's interesting because you can't buy these anymore, and there are a bunch of people, mm. me included, who didn't quite have enough to finish the table. Mm. Um, so inside the box, you get the rules manual, which includes nine new missions, um, expanded rules for both squads. So if you want to play Tau. Pathfinders or the Sisters, you need the box. Mm. Um, strategic ploys, battle honors, da 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 da. And um, it looks like that'll be a release sometime in the next couple of months. I'm not a huge fan of this business model. I'm so, as long as there's no massive sweeping changes in the book, like in the in the like you buy the box. So say, yeah. say you bought Octarius because you yeah. play orcs. Yeah. As long as you don't need to buy this box to keep up with the core rules, it's fine. No, but what if you want to have three or four different um, different kill team teams? 
What do you mean? So what if you want to play Orcs and Tau? Then you have to buy this box. Yeah. So it's not actually a case of, well, you can just sub in your 40k models. Well, you can because you've got the compendium rules. But the compendium rules don't cover it. And this says it includes all new rules for... Yeah. So you can't. Well, it depends on what's going to happen with the Octarius. When they discontinue the Octarius box, because mm. they've, they've already previewed we're getting the Krieg and the Orc units as separate kill teams when this comes out. So there'll be a little kill team box... So if you wanted to, say you wanted to buy the Commandos mm. for Kill Team, you could buy the forthcoming box that is the Commando box where you get all their rules in it. Okay. So the the core, bo- the core box cycle is at least going to be backwards supported where if you get into this three boxes in and you want to play Orcs, you just go and buy their box and you get all their rules. Yeah. So it's going to keep it exciting and interesting. There are people who are going to buy every single one of these Kill Zones. Mm. without fail. Mm. The Necron one, when that comes out, we'll have all the Necron terrain that was not good in the last box for the last edition. Hopefully they add more to it. So, in the meantime though, it's nice to see the the tower getting some extra gear. I really hope we don't see some way of including these sisters in a 40k list. I love them. 100% bring them in. I don't even know how you could... There's there's no consistency of weapons. There's no... Like, I don't know how you put this into a 40k unit. Consistency? Who needs consistency? The military. The military needs consistency. So you know what Sisters of Battle are? They're a militant force. <laughs> and that was supposed to be a joke because I'm constantly banging on about the importance of consistency. Mm. Aren't I? It's like a mantra. I just don't know how they make this into a 40k unit. Unless it's one unit and it goes, it consists of... One of this and 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 no one takes it because it's terrible to do that. It's amazing. Looks cool. I can't even agree with that. I think the Tower are the clear winners here. Well, I'm amazed that I like the Tower as much as I do. But I think I like the Sisters more just just because you really don't. (laughs) Brings me joy. Fair enough. Okay, last bit from Gen Con. Black Templars are coming back. This is something I'm looking forward to. Now, the Black Templars first had their time in the sun in 3rd edition on the cover of the core rulebook. And they are essentially the European crusading knights from the Middle Ages. Okay. But in power armor with big guns. Sure. So there's a lot of sort of knightly tabards and... um, I forget what the the Templar cross is called. I forget. There's an actual name for it. Maltese cross? Yes. Maybe. Um, And then we're getting a new army set. Now, this army set is reminiscent of the Sisters of Battle release that we got, where you get a whole bunch of new stuff in one box back at the tail end of 8th edition. Yeah. And it's um, much like the Orc box we've just had with the Beast Snagger boys. Yeah. It's only 13 models. Oh. Which is my first hello. Um. And one of them, I feel, is a little bit of a cop-out because they put a Redemptor Dreadnought in, Uh, which is obviously a kit that's now been around for the last five years or so. Um, What we do get, though, is we get an Empress Champion, which we've already seen and had previewed before. We get the new Marshal, which I'm hoping is at least partly Mm multi-part. And then we get the new Crusader Squad, which is... Um, four initiates, sorry, five initiates, four neophytes, and a sword brethren. 
and these models all look spectacular. So the new Marshall, um, I do like the comment. I hope it's more than this, but it's, the new Marshall comes with a couple of options, including a choice of two heads and a selection of weapons. There's also an optional, in Ooh. italics, purity seal. But you can really imagine setting off a crusade without sufficient sanctification. So <laughs> um, I think that's a, another sort of jab at some of the complaints about having less customization for some of the more recent models. Mm. Um, I don't like the head. I really don't like the the iron ring mm. around his forehead and down his nose. So I'd want the helmeted version. But Plus if the, then you don't have to paint eyes. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> what do you think all these sisters of battle are getting helmets for? Um, I'm assuming we'll get a couple of different like sword and axe options and a couple of different pistol options for him and that'll be cool. He looks like a crusading knight. I'm not sure about the skeleton thing. The dead yeah. thing on the backpack. Yeah, the skeleton. I think it's I think that ties in really well with the sort of the Maltese myth like the Middle Ages type stuff where they, they carried around dead people on banners and stuff as reliquies. That could that be feels really heavy and tiring. It's a skeleton, it doesn't weigh much. Well, it does if you're carrying it around dead until it becomes a skeleton. Well, it sounds quite smelly as when well. When you look at the back of it, he's only half there. He hasn't got anything from the hips down. Oh, well, that makes it all right then. Um, the sword brethren with the sword like pose. the painting of that sword as well. That sword brethren model is hands down the best of these, in my opinion. I really love it. There's a lot there that's, I'm a badass. I'm, I'm going to mess you up. Here I am. Um, I really like it. What I don't like... Oh, my God. <laughs> is, that's the response I was expecting, is the haircuts on the neophytes. Do you reckon? Um, yeah. They, now, these are very... It's like a 90s bowl cut. It, well, it's, it's, again, going back to that Middle Ages monk. Do you know what? I reckon this actually goes really well with the opening song because I reckon the Backstreet Boys probably had this They do look haircut. like the Backstreet Boys. Yeah. And it doesn't get any better as we go through really, them. really, really doesn't. They need help. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't even cut the, cut the hair straight <laughs> on that one. <laughs> that looks like someone stuck a stake on his head. That's probably the best of them. I think the bald guy's the best of them. <laughs> He's in power armor. He doesn't count. Um, He's still bald. He is still bald. Yeah. the um, they've, they've always traditionally struggled with some of the, um, the scout slash neophyte heads. And oh, my God. I think I think the face is all. I mean, not that one's face. No. His his eyes are a bit wonky, and he looks like he's sucking a lemon. But the majority of them, the faces look good. The haircuts leave something to be desired. I think they would have been better just bald and be done with it. Oh my God. Um, or do the little mohawky. No, it's the crew cut. Crew American cut thing crew that cut. that works okay. So we're also getting obviously the limited edition. Um, what is it called? It's not called that. Is it flat top American flat top. Yep. Not crew cut. Sorry. Uh, so what's interesting is this is a supplement, not a full codex, which um, I suppose makes a little bit of sense when they're not going to just reprint the entire Space Marine book. Yeah. Um, I'm just currently Googling images of the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> oh my goodness, look at this guy's hair. The middle one. He was on there. Yeah, okay. I swear. Uh, so the Backstreet Boys might now be in power armor or pseudo power armor. Um, so yeah, this box includes a limited edition codex, you get the limited edition cards, and you get the 13 box, uh, thirteen miniatures. Yeah, okay, these are the 90s Backstreet Boys <laughs> in Black Templar neophyte form. 100%. You couldn't have picked a better intro song. No. 
That wasn't intentional either. That's great. So the Black Templars are coming. They, I think, were set for an October... Was it October and then nothing in November? Or was it November and nothing in October? It was one of the two. So what's most interesting to me, though, is that we're getting this so soon after Orcs. Because we got the Beast Snagger box. Yeah. And then it's been a year since we saw this previously. Mm. So they kind of only tend to do one of these a year, as, as the last few years have shown in this sort of indication. And then all of a sudden we've got two in the space of six months. Mm. So now to tie in with the Gen Con announcement of the Black Templars Crusade army set, we also get the new High Marshal Hellbrick. Now, there's some controversy that's gone on for this as well. Okay. First of all, here's the new miniature. High Marshal Hellbrick. Okay. I'm, I'm zooming in. Hellbrick is okay. a badass. He is, I'm going to guess that base is a 60 mil base. Yeah. It's not little, whatever it is. No, I'm even thinking it might be bigger than that, given the, well, like, the given that you've got four models on there, plus a strategic rock. Well, that I've got a 60 mil base here. That's the 60 mil base. Is there an 80? Well, that's a 40. Mm. I, I reckon that's a 60. It's either 50 or a 60. I'm betting a 60 based yeah. on what's going around it. Can't be sure, but that's what it looks like. They've got two servitors on his base. One holding his, um, I forget what the gun's called. It's a combi, it's combi a melter, but it's, it's a big. It's got a, a it's got a name in the stories. Yeah. The other is cleaning his sword while still impaled in an orc. Mm-hmm. And then we obviously have High Marshal Helbrick now primarist and looking suitably badass. In the sto- regal, I think he looks regal. In the stories. Since the release of the original model, he had his hand cut off by a Necron Lord. All right. Now he has a bionic hand. So yeah, they've added cool. that to the story, which is great. They've also given us an option for... He's got three separate head options, apparently. I quite like that. I like the head. I like the bucket helm. Yeah. I think that suits him really well. Um, I'm just... Well, I'm not sure what's going on with the band of metal around their heads. The it's sort of the cross, the Maltese cross thing. Mm, is it a Maltese? Scroll down a little bit. Oh, the what he's wearing. Yeah, it is a Maltese cross on that he. Oh, it's half of a Maltese cross. Okay. It looks like it's hard to tell, but it looks like it f- sort of funnels around, and he's kind of got the back of the helmet still attached because it oh, covers okay, his ears right. and things. If you look, yeah. I'm um, not. I'm not sure what I, my thoughts are on that. I'm not a huge. I just use the overall helmet. fan, but the helmet I did quite like. Yeah. Um. So he's wearing. It's this is the first I think we've seen of Artificer Mark Ten power armor. What I love about this, though, this is the original artwork that this is inspired by. All right, nice. Now, this is artwork that was done way back yeah. when this model came out by an artist called Mark Gibbons. Mark basically did a whole bunch of my favorite artwork all through second and third edition 40K, but a lot of it in second edition. Mm. And it's all this sort of really hyper black and white contrasts, but it's really high definition. For the for whatever the like, if you look in the background, you can see the orc gargant sort of blowing yeah, up, and yeah, it's yeah. a bit out of focus. But Hellbrick is super detailed. Mm. When he left Games Workshop, it doesn't feel like it was on great terms. I don't know how or why. And I know that every now and again he sells some of his original art of these prints, mm. like the original ones he did. You'll notice on this piece of art on the White Dwarf, his initials are there, MG. Mm. This article started without that there. Ah. And then they went back on, and then they came off again, and then they went back on again, and then they, and this this article has been updated a couple of times with that his initials 
changing on and off. Oh. They're on at the moment. I even saw him comment on Facebook last night or this morning maybe mm. that they're back on again in the art now. So I don't know whether there's legal issues around it or whether there's some sort of... Um, what's the... You know, when they rerun TV shows and the people still get paid for it. Yeah, the rights. Yeah. So I don't know whether there's something else going on as to why they don't want to recognise him, but it's Royalties. on there. Well, that's the one. But I'm glad that it's there because in terms of the art that he did all through second and third edition, it's particularly second edition, did some of my favourite pieces of art. Mm-hmm. And I, he's a very talented artist and I really like it, what he did. So... Nice to see some of his artwork featuring and inspiring models mm. 20 years later. Yeah. So, obviously, there's a lot of nods to it. There's little twists in terms of the orc's very different. This one's sort of got a big power claw and a bunch of armor, whereas the one that he's killing on the, the base is quite plain. Yeah, it's also a current orc. Yeah. As opposed to one that was done and the servitors, years ago. And the servitors in the old version look really, really creepy, whereas these are much more human. Yeah. Um, I think that's just showing the, the evolution of the art and absolutely. You know, where it is at the moment. Yeah. Scroll up, I want to see the top of his... Oh, never mind. What do you want to see? Okay. Cool. Oh, the top the of the lantern. banner. Yeah, the, yeah. the lantern's changed. Um, but the what was interesting is the model that it's replacing, the standard High Marshal Hellbrick. Mm. Um, I don't think there's a like-for-like like photo. There's not on the... Um, there's not on the um, article itself, but so the old version. There's a lot of cues that still line up. Yeah, but he's just very different. His well, he's got the. If you look at the artwork, you've got the two candles on the old version, mm. um, but we've got a skull instead of a lantern. And like when you look at how his cape's been draped, and you look at the all the details in terms of the sensors and the. It's all there. Yeah, yeah. It's a very clear evolution. Um, and I really appreciate that they've done that. Yeah, I just really much prefer the new version. I, th- I think that's also to do with Primaris looking less stunty yeah, that's than it. old Space Marines. The old Space Marines always... I said it to someone else recently about um, 30K wanting to use ma- the, the current Primaris Space Marines who are essentially in modified Mark IV armor in a heresy game. And got told, no, you can't do that. They're, they're not heresy models. And I went, they look so much better yeah. because they're better proportioned. Yeah. And, you know, as long as you make sure that the weapons they're carrying are appropriate for heresy. Yeah. Why, like, why would I not want them to look the best they could? But um, it just... I, I think, think it depends which heresy player you're talking to. There are some heresy players that have similar viewpoints and then there are some heresy players that are more purist. Yeah. But this model is sensational. Yeah, I really like I agree. it. The only downside to this model uh, has been the memes that have been coming out with the uh, the little servitor wiping the blade. Mm. There's been a couple of versions of him wiping other things. Oh. Um, do you remember the Sigvlad the Magnificent model from Age of Sigma, the dude in the gold armor? So the one that looked like I can't believe it's not butter. Um. I don't know. He's basically... Um, he was an up, another Age of Sigma model that got replaced. Mm. And when I got a good look at him 
he's not wearing any armor for his butt. All right. So we've now got a version of. Oh, I have seen that one. Yeah, yeah. we now have a Photoshop version the one of. That said, um, you know, got to polish that butt armor or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So we've got Photoshop of that servitor polishing Siglad's butt. Um, we've also got a photo of there was another one they did. You know, there's still like world hunger happening. Like, surely people's <laughs> surely there are better things that people could do. Says us who sat here talking about this for how many hours now? I'm just trying to find there. There was another another piece of artwork. It doesn't matter. Yeah, but yeah, there's there's a few of those memes going around now. Mm. Um, if that is a 60 mil base, that's the, just insane. It's he's huge. He is. He does look huge. Yeah. So, and I think so. One of the issues that I had with the previous model is I would imagine he's on a. Oh. 25 mil base. Okay, yeah. I was going to say a 30 mil base. Teeny tiny. Yeah. And so he looks like he's... It looks like he's going to fall off. I've actually got this model. It's um, it's in fine cast at the moment. I've got mm. it in metal. And a friend of ours, uh, Jordan, who now lives in the UK, loves Black Templars, collects Black Templars. Yeah. That particular model, the original version of it in metal, He's also not stood upright walking. Yeah. He's leant forwards walking. Mm. So he's really top heavy. And on a 25mm base, have to wait that base, he fell over consistently. Yeah. So a lot of players put him on a 40mm base and then pushed him back onto the base to make him balance better. Yeah. But of course, that's a bit of a, a faux pas these days mm. for a lot of competitive play. So you, he should be on a 32. Uh, at, best, at best, a 32. Yeah. Um, but this is um, this is going to do away with all that because A, it's plastic and B, it's freaking huge. Yeah. And it's hard to tell. I mean, he just looks overall so much bigger. He does. Because the proportions just look so much better. Well, he's also stood up taller. Yeah. And he's on a big rock. Do you know, though, the, the, for me, I love it as a diorama. I'd hate to use it in the game. Uh, so would I, but why is that? The orc. Yeah. The orc really bothers me. Yeah. Um, it's a bit like the the Bellacore model with the dead dying ultramarine on his base. I'd actually leave that off entirely and just have the stone steps with him walking down the stone steps without a corpse well, there. I think that I think I'm not sure, but I think Aaron Jaw with his um, oh, what are his yellow the angry marines angry marines. He's got a couple where they've got like dead opponent. Yeah, there. yeah. But he, they're magnetised, so he can actually pull them off and put other ones. Depending on what he's playing, yeah. he can pull them off and put other ones on. Um, so, you know, I think that's really cool. But You're not yeah. doing that with this model? Uh, no. it's Apart from anything else, there's a giant sword sticking through him. And so. that creates the next part of the problem is, you go, okay, well, I'm not going I'm not to put the orc down. You have to. Well, you'd have to redo the tip of the sword mm. and re-sculpt a big rock or something there. To In which case, what's the dude at the bottom doing? Well, he could still be cleaning the, serv- like, yeah, still be cleaning the sword. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's still one of those things where I kind of go, oh. I really, really love the artwork and it's translated really well as a model. Yeah. But I don't necessarily want to, like, or maybe he needs to be painted, the orc boy needs to be painted darker to take attention away from him so he's not as vibrant. I love the way it's painted. I hear what you're saying and I know why you're saying it, but I do love, I love everything about that model. Yeah, Apart from the stupid head thing but with the helmet on yeah well I want to see what the third head is because apparently it comes with three different heads one helmeted and two unhelmeted 
So whether or not we're getting a a yelling face, a bored face, and a helmet like yeah. we did with a baton, mm. I, d- I don't know. But okay, stop scrolling up and down. Where's the helmet? You're there it is. Me. The helmets. If you look at the way the helmets sat, I'm assuming it'll be set up so that it clicks in. Yeah. You'll have to cut the lug off if you want it to turn it. But if you look at how it's set in that photo, he's looking over the Maltese cross on his mm. left shoulder. So I'm assuming it's going to sit facing roughly the same way yeah. as his normal one. So yeah. that's kind of nice as well. So Which I think is to do with how, you know, how he's posed and everything. That he is looking away from what it, you know, like I'm... I don't actually care about what I've just stabbed. It. But it's a, it is a really good model. I'm really mm-hmm. looking forward to seeing it in person. The Emperor's Champion, by contrast, now looks really boring and plain because he's just that. He's. I think I said that at the time, didn't I? Well, the sword's cool. I love the sword. Yeah, on I love it. the sword, but the armor. But he's got nothing on the chest plate. The knees. Actually, I think at the time I might have liked it because it's starting to grow on me again. The knees are like the way there's like there's no yeah. actual knee pads there. No, but I quite like the simplicity of it. Well, he's, he's obviously meant to get visions of the Emperor and then the night before basically don the armour and become the Emperor's champion. So it kind of makes some sense. Mm. But since in the past, every Black Templar... So the way this worked when it first came out is um, you made your army mm-hmm. and then you had to lose a model from your army to become the Emperor's champion because he got visions... Okay, yeah. Much like the the Blood Angels had a rule way back when when you rolled for each squad to see how many of them joined the Death Company at the start of the game. Um, so, I don't know whether we're going to see that again or whether he just becomes compulsory or they've kind of stepped away from compulsory stuff in armies mm. these days. So, you'd want to hope that there's a reason to put him in the army. Like, he, he better be either cheap enough or good enough or both Yeah. to see him often on the table. And then the question of Hellbricht is... Is he good enough that you're going to see him often, or is it going to be a cool model you see because people like the model? Yeah. Which is kind of a running theme with a lot of those sorts of characters. Anyway, I think that's everything we're going to cover for news. Oh, good. We're going to come back and talk WATC and events and other bits and pieces after we take a quick break. Um, but in the meantime, I might sit play some more Backstreet Boys instead of our usual interlude. <laughs> WATC 2021 has been and gone. Mm. We got a little bit of coverage on Goonhammer. Yes. It just coincides that it happened at the same time as one of the biggest European events oh. in the world. I think it is the only super major until London GT in a week or two's time. Um, the Alliance Open. But nevertheless, our event came and went. 120 players, 20 teams of six. 124 players. We did have some ring-ins join in to help out a couple of the teams, mm-hmm. um, which reminds me I've um, got to hit up our second place team because they want to um, organise a trophy for their coach because I only ordered six trophies. Mm. So I've got to talk to them because they asked me to see how much it would cost, so I've got a price for them. Um, but and their coach played for other teams. three other teams? Yep. <laughs> Was that their strategy, get their coach to play for other teams? To- Tank them? Yeah. <laughs> not a bad strategy. Look, I have to give a shout out to the Albany Tabletop Gamers who managed, I think, 
two draws out of five rounds. Was it only two? I know they were aiming for more. They nearly ended up with a third. It was close. So I thought what it might be cool to do is look at um, sort of the overall results because we, I suppose technically we had two teams undefeated at the end of round five. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we can have a look at the, I mean, there's six players who went undefeated. Seven technically because there's a draw snuck in there as well for one player. Mm-hmm. So we can kind of look at factions and you know, the spread of players because there's a good mix of players in the in the pool, yep. in the top end. So we're going to start very quickly with a rundown from 20 to 1 for the teams. Uh, Maelstrom Cabal brings in the rank 20 for us this year for 2021. Mm-hmm. OP Please Nerf in 19, Apes Together Strong in 18, Beyond Team Charlie in 17, Astartes Bay at 16, Totally Incredible Tactical Squad at 15, the Albany Tabletop Gamers at 14, which is, I think, the best finish yet. I think that was 16 last year. They're, they've been creeping up year yeah. on year. Uh, Beyond Team Bravo in 13, Beyond Team Delta in 12, coming out of the, gun, the gates very strong this year. Yeah, they came out of the gates very strong because they had... How many ring-ins? Well, they had two ring-ins from Perth, but you can't win with those two players. The rest of the team has to... That's the beauty of this team event. Yeah. And actually saying that, as much as I'm joking, um, saying they had ring-ins from Perth, they actually started in a much higher ranking. Because of those two ring-ins Because from of Perth. those two ring-ins from Perth, which meant that because of that, they actually first had round their, pairing was a actually much harder. harder first round yeah. than, than they would have expected. So um, just to very quickly, I know that you're going through it, but... Uh, Bunbury, which is the Beyond teams, they've brought four teams with them and they were actually ranked. So Alpha was their strongest team with the most experience, then Bravo, Charlie and then Delta. So Delta was their least experienced teams. Yeah. And then because they had two... Was it only two Perth players? It was two. I thought Matt had said three. No. So because they had two Perth players in there... Yeah, it did increase their their seeding, their number, seeding, yeah. their rankings, and so yeah, they've ended up having to have really quite a tricky first game. Yeah, well, they still went um, uh, four out of ten possible round points, so they won two of their rounds. Mm. Uh, sweep the leg comes in at number eleven. Snake Eyes Squad makes the top half at rank ten. Hobby Yakuza in nine. The Howling Manchies in eighth. Uh, Big Daka Energy in seventh. Beyond Team Alpha in sixth. Uh, Drengar in fifth, which is the old Hooligans Armadale team. Ah. Uh, Toy Soldier Cartel in the top four. Then the Stonecutters in three, the Dice in Combat Squad in two, and the Flying Hellfish rounding it out for number one mm-hmm. by 21 battle points over mm-hmm. over the Dice in Combat Squad. Because they drew their final round against the Hellfish. Now, As um, in the Dice in Combat Squad drew their final round yeah, against the Hellfish. So both, both those te- teams ended up on four wins and a draw. Mm-hmm. The draw was actually in favour of the Dice in Combat Squad. It mm. was four points shy of a round win for them. So, very, very close finish to that round. Um, and both those teams were seeds one and two. Now, we actually knew going into that round that the um, Juggernauts Flying Hellfish, they only needed a draw in order to win. Yes, because they... They were so far ahead on battle points mm. that even getting a mi- like a minimum draw, a 55-65 draw, the differential was still too high on battle points that they would still come out on top. 
Which so, is essentially what's happened. Yeah. So we had had a conversation. I don't know whether or not it was part of a Facebook Live or just a conversation that we had had around wondering what the different tactics of those two um, teams would be. So you had suggested that you thought that the flying hellfish would go out trying to be quite um, conservative and going, you know what, a draw is okay. We just need we need to make sure that we at least get a draw. 55 points out of 120 possible. Yeah. It feels like a really safe thing to go for. You get two really good pairings and then everyone else just plays super yeah. conservative, just fishing for a handful of points. And then with the Dice in Combat Squad, because they needed a win, whether or not they would go out as their strategy to actually be you know what, we actually really need to win this, so we need to go all out um, and play, not aggressively, play is assertively, you know, play, <laughs> um, but, you know, actually, rather than being conservative, take some risks and try and get the points that we need in order to get the win. Um, and I actually didn't get a chance to talk to the two captains to find out whether or not that's what they'd actually done. Did you? No, I don't. didn't either. I'm just, I brought up their round, the final round pairing. Now, assuming the the captains listen to me. Oh, they darling, I like that you think that they might have. Well, they should have paired them in the right order, but looking at it, they've just put the pair first pairing on table one, the second pairing on table two, the third pairing on table three, which I, I know didn't happen. Mm. So we ended up with um, Custodes versus Dark Angels, uh, which finishes in favour of the Custodes for the Hellfish. Mm-hmm. It was only a um, like a 19-point swing, so it was a 13-7 win. I feel like that game probably... The, the result of that game is probably pretty reasonable. It yeah. was always going to be a relatively close game. You've got the immovable object versus the irresistible force. Mm. Um, so Pete did really well to get, f to get the 13-7 win out of that. He was probably... I would suspect that that round pairing probably was, for both teams, probably a 10-all um, with plus or minus... Five points, depending on the the table that got selected, um, because the Custodes army wants open lines of fire, but the the Dark Angels have got a whole bunch of defenses against it. Yeah. Um, we had Mitch and his Thousand Sons against the Sisters of Battle from Aaron, which finished in the Sisters. Oh, sorry, in the Thousand Sons' favor, fifteen five. That's an interesting one because the Sisters' army has so many deny the witch abilities, mm. and the Thousand Sons is all casting. So, Mitch must have done very well in order to minimise the chances of denials and then obviously engage really well into Aaron. Yeah. Um, then we've got uh, Lockie Rig and his sisters versus Dave and his Drakari, which is a 10-all draw, uh, 72 to 69. Mm. So... In Dave's in Dave, favour. Just in Dave's favour. I would suspect, though, that that game was probably picked that way as well. Mm. From the Hellfisher side of things, removing the Drakari from the pool potentially in the second or third pairing makes a lot of sense. And throwing it into a sister's army that ignores a bunch of the AP modifiers, has a built-in vulnerable save army wide, there's a lot going for that pairing. And so Lockie holding Dave to his only technically not win, mm. um, you know, Dave in another pairing might have seen that game blow out which yep. would have given the Dyson Combat Squad the win. Craig and his Grey Knights losing to Ben and his Orcs, 20-0, is a significant thing. Mm. Um, there are only three 20-0s in this round, and they're all in the next three games, uh, two of which go in favour of the Dyson Combat Squad. Um, 
Ben's Orc list was a hybrid version of what Manny Chima was running in the UK. So lots of buggies and vehicles. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically it just delivers so much range mortal wounds that the Grey Knight's defences are just overwhelmed. Okay. Just so that was a good pairing. Is Ben going to be offended that you've just said that? No, Ben's been running the, the buggies for Yonks. The, okay. Uh, the, the, the buggy list was made famous by Manny. Yeah, and I think that it's useful to say that, that he's been playing this for a long time and he hasn't just ripped it off of... No, I mean, Adam Adam Batista was running it first and mm-hmm. then before it ended up on the internet with Manny, Ben had already been playing it and mucking around with it, mm-hmm. trying to make it work because there are some really undervalued, points-wise at least, Orc vehicles and, and Ben took full advantage of that. All right, so I think it's useful to say it was a similar list. It wasn't the same list, but it was but similar. It was, and Ben didn't rip it off no. from something that he'd seen that has been successful. Not that there's anything country. wrong with that, to be fair. No, there's not anything wrong with it. But I think that when you write your list yourself and when you come up with something and then somebody else somewhere else does something similar and, you know, get some attention for it and then it, somebody suggests that you've, copied, you've it. copied it when actually, well, no, I've been doing this for however long. Yeah. I think it's useful to just point out that that's, yeah. Fair enough. Uh, then we've got Andrew and his Admech versus Connor and his Chaos List. The Chaos List's got Bellacore and um, from memory it was Demons and... I want to say it was just Heretic Astartes for the Der- for the um, the Volkite Contemptors. I feel like that's a feeding game where they've just gone, you know what, Connor, if you can get any points out of this, go for it. Hmm. Because the Admech is so strong. Andrew even made a comment because most of that army, he half of it he built and painted, the other half he borrowed from an, another friend. And he said, it's the most boring army to play. Uh. Um, so it's his own version of the really kind of prolific admec list that we're seeing at the moment although he took maxed out infiltrators um and rust as i believe the list was uh and then the final game is uh ben's drakari fleet now i say fleet it was actually chronos spam versus earl's admec and earl's been playing admec for years and uh 20 would ben and that pairing is probably one that they, they didn't necessarily want because i feel like earl got got exactly what he would have wanted out of that so, I think looking at these pairings, the Dicing Combat Squad, despite losing three of the games, winning two and drawing one, when you actually look at the pairings, I actually wonder whether the Dicing Combat Squad got the better end of that deal. Because all it takes is that swing game of Lockie and Dave to swing the way they thought it would, with Dave picking up a handful of points more, and all of a sudden you've got a win for the Dicing Combat Squad. They need four more points out of it. So, I don't know. I don't know. I'd be interested to hear what the guys have to say in terms of pairings because those two zeros compared to one zero significantly hurt the the Hellfishers to final score. But um, kudos to both captains because clearly they both paired into it really well. Yeah. Um, and they were well matched. Yeah, they were the top two teams, yeah. and we had to adjust the pairings I to was make just sure. About to say that. So just very quickly to recap. What we would expect. So we had 20 teams. Yep. So we would expect that going into the last round, there would be... um, Two undefeated. Two undefeated. Sadly, we went into round four with only two undefeated. Because because we had players... So many damn teams went and got themselves a draw. I think we had five draws in the first two rounds. Mm. So uh, because of that, we then... We sort of had to have a conversation because you don't want to go into round four and have your only two undefeated players play against each other 
which makes round five kind of anticlimactic. Yeah, because those are the two teams that should have been playing for first and second, which is what we ended up doing. So you reshuffled things and... um, So all we did is put them, because we used bracketed pairings... Um, we essentially put those two teams back into the top bracket. Rather, well, we put rather them than, into the second bracket. They were in the top bracket. We put yeah, them into the second and bracket. And paired them in exactly like all the other brackets, yeah. which both teams won their round four, which saw them pair off in round five. Yeah. Um, and then we had a minor hiccup with down on the pairings in the last round because of the way the brackets had worked out. It actually decided that one of the teams couldn't be paired. So instead of it just throwing up an error and listing them as unpaired, it deleted the team. Mm. And in that 40 minutes of panic that I had, 30 minutes of panic that I had over the lunch break, um, I put a call in to Diffie to kind of, kind of go, um, so <laughs> what have I done? And then discovered a workaround. Um, and then he called me back and said, okay, have you fixed it? I said, yep. He said, good, we'll worry about whatever you did later. So we ended up having to go into the software, change it from bracketed pairings to Swiss pairings. So 1v2, 3v4, 5v6 which is essentially what the final bracket is anyway. Yeah. And that let me put all 20 teams in and then I manually, got, manually do them. adjust them. Yeah. So um, I'm really pleased with the way it ended up because when you actually go through and look at the sort of the finished scores, when you go after one and two, which like I say, were separated by 21 battle points, mm. three and four are both on eight round points because they both won mm. four of their five games. And their battle points are reflective of their positions in three and four, respectively. Yeah, but what are they separated by? 70 points? Yeah, just shy of 80 points. Mm. And then you've got four teams on three three round wins. Mm-hmm. And even their their round point, their battle points flow down. Like, it's not like there's a team that smashed battle points and ended up lower than someone else. Yeah. It might happen lower down in the field, but I don't even think it does then. It does a little bit. So you can see that going from um, 10th place into 11th, their battle points go from 275 up to 324. But the round points drop from 5 yeah, to 4. Yeah, exactly. So what I mean is in each of the brackets in terms of round points... Yeah, well, it would have it, to do that. But that, what I'm saying is there's some that are like one-point differentials. Like there's nothing there's nothing really weird that's blown out. Mm. Yeah. Um. Because you look at 11 and 12, you've got, what's that, 15 points difference? I'm going to be honest, I can't actually see the numbers from here. 307 to 324. Yeah, 14 points. No, that's 7, 17 points. You know, and then the next one under 307 is 289. So you're now talking 20 points and then another 20 points and then one point and then 15. Like they're all, they all feel relatively close as you move through them. Yep. Which is really nice. I think that's what we saw when we were looking at the games as well. There were certain games where you thought, oh, okay, well, actually, I think that based on this and based on this, then I think we can pretty much safely say that this team's going to win. But actually, a lot of the room we're looking at going, this is a this could go either way. Well, I actually wonder whether part of that's to do with the new sort of um, the new codexes and the way the game now plays, and that there's a lot, despite there being some obvious outliers like Drakari and Admech. Most of the codexes aren't too far removed from each other. Mm. And when you get a little bit of room to play where you can dodge that odd matchup that you don't want to play, and you get a little bit of say in the table that you're playing on, because we had five, literally 50% of the room was identical in terms of terrain. Terrain, yeah. Um, so when you were playing on the top tables, you knew what you were dealing with because we published all the maps early. Mm. Um, 
I wonder how much of it is just the fact that the game is now more balanced than it probably has ever been. And with TOs doing more and more to try and make the terrain more balanced, are we actually seeing a, a situation where it's, you know, is is that a combination of things that is the, why the competition was so close? I don't know. Yeah, neither do I. Just an interesting thought. I mean, it makes sense. You know, we were talking about this morning about randomised control trials. That's exactly what it is. The The only thing that becomes different is the player skill because everything else is still is quite... Um, you know, everything else is comparable. Yeah. So, um, we did have uh, six players go undefeated mm-hmm. over their five games. Congratulations to those players. One with a perfect score. Oh. And he wasn't in the winning team. He, did, well, he was in the yeah, third, third team. Third though. team. Do you want to give a shout out to the people who won all of their so games? So, undefeated. Um, I'm going to just throw in, I have to throw in seventh place as well because he is technically undefeated. Yes. So, on four wins and a draw, we had uh, Sly Dave. Then, uh, in order, sixth place was Mitch from the Flying Hellfish. Uh, fifth was Jake from the t- Beyond Team Alpha. Fourth was Courtney from the Toy Soldier Cartel. Third was Tom White from the Snake Eye Squad. Second was Andrew from the Hellfish. And first was Jordan from the Stonecutters on a perfect 100 battle points, five round points. And I think that's that's pretty cool. Like, when you actually get right down to it, going undefeated... I mean, he was playing Admech, so we can't give him too much credit. <coughs> but we can give him credit. <laughs> um, I like. I don't know what their pairing strategy was for him, but was he doing the pairings? Uh, the captain for that. No, I'm just kidding. The, the captain for that round was uh, for that team was Tim, so I don't think so. But I would. It's one of those ones that there is a strategy there where you could just go. You know what? We know that the Admech book is strong. So we want to make sure that we focus on that and we give every possible chance to make sure that ta- that is just getting us 20 points every game. Mm. So there would be a potential opportunity there to go, hey... There's also the thing of going, we know Admech is strong, so we're going to put it against other things because we know that it's likely to get higher scores. So And give, not suggesting that Jordan got easier games, but give potentially easier games to other people who may struggle to get... Yeah. Well, the only on something that's less a less easy opponent. The, the only round that they lost was actually against the Dyson Combat Squad in round three, and Jordan still twenty zero that round. Um, and there was only one other player on his team that won, and that was an eleven nine win. So, you know, you you got to give him full credit for being able to do that in this environment to be able to go in and be given these pairings and just go, yep, cool. You know, I'm going to go and just get twenties. Mm. And more 20s. You know, he beats Drakari in round four. Um, I don't remember who he played in round five. But um, I'll have a quick look at round five now. So round five, Stonecutters played against Albany Alpha. Is that right? Um, No, they played the Howling Manchies. Who were in the mix for a third place finish again. Mm. Um, The Stonecutters, though, pretty decisively... Finish that round off at 114 points. Yes. To six. Shout out to John who got those six points. That was, that looks, looking at the pairings, that looks brutal. Mm. I don't, I don't think we had anyone go a perfect 120. We did have that happen a few years ago when the team, the team event was only one day. That's probably as close as I've seen it. Mm. So, yeah, 
that last round must have been pretty brutal. So, um, you know, Jordan did exceptional job there. Um, and, and so did everyone else who, you know, didn't drop well, the, the game. The so good congratulations thing, yeah. to them. And the good thing about this as well, there's only one double up on teams. So you've got two from the Hellfish, the Stonecutters, the Snake Eyes, Toy Soldier, Beyond Alpha, and the Dyson Combat Squad. So you've got six teams there with an undefeated player in it. Mm-hmm. At least one undefeated player in it. Out of 20 teams. Which I think is really, really good. Oh, hang on. Who's this? Why have we got another one down here undefeated from Beyond Team Bravo? Oh. What's going on there? Yep, yeah. they should be there. And there's a bunch of them on nine. Hang on, we got we got way more. Okay, so we do something sorted. So, something happened there. So let's start again from the beginning for the nines, and then add in. Dave. Okay, so yeah, I don't know what the sorting was there. It looks right now. Mm. Um, so we got one, two, three, four, five. We got six on nine. So technically no losses. Mm-hmm. Uh, Regan from the Hobby Yakuza, Lockie from the Flying Hellfish, Jay from Apes Together, Callum from Beyond Team Delta. Uh, Rob from the Stone Cutters, and then Dave from the Dicing Combat Squad, and then we have to say congratulations to Daniel Drummond from Beyond Team Bravo, who managed to go five for five at eighty-four points, and then Mitch, Jake, Courtney, Tom, Andrew, and Jordan that we in that mentioned. order. Yeah. Um, the fact that we've got Delta, I mean Delta, Bravo, and Alpha all represented in those undefeated is even more pleasing to me mm. because it shows that we do have a really balanced field from the looks of this. Well, yeah, that's, as you said, there's not many that have got double ups there. So it is quite an even spread of those of those players who you and, know, have gone undefeated. And even when you creep down into the four wins, you actually get basically every team in some way, shape or form represented. There's still probably one or two outliers, but, you know, it's um, it's a really good spread of the field. Um, in terms, and I really like that. I love that we we're playing in a um, community where there is a spread of player skill level across all of those different teams. It's not mm. the strongest players haven't formed, and they're you know it's just. We probably had five teams that started the event that I thought could win it, mm. and the top three or the top four actually were in my top five anyway. Um. Now I'm trying to think who finished fifth and whether they were my my other choice. I don't remember. I have to look. Okay. Up. Well, when remember we made a thing that we're not doing no, this anymore. No. Fifth. Fifth. And you've just def- proved why, given that you got them in fifth, front of you and you still stuffed it up. Fifth wasn't my pick for fifth. Who who came fifth? Uh, the old hooligans team. Ah. We had JD winning games. What the hell is that? Yeah. <laughs> well, that was so the room, um, not on purpose, but the room sort of ended up split in half with what ended up being the top half of the room and the lower half of the room. With the bar in between. And it was done that way because, yeah, so that we could get out and with the, the trolley. To, and, and Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the trolley was for the bar runs and um, and making sure that people had access to be able to leave should there be an emergency and things like that. So, um, But it did end up in this situation where we had a top half of the room and the bottom half of the room. But my goodness, it was a surprise to see that team in the top half of the room. Yeah. They've all gone and grown up. <laughs> They're becoming adults. Uh, I want to. I'm not sure that we want to go that far. <laughs> I want to give a special shout out to Ryan Buck, who played for the Toy Soldier Cartel, finished fourth as part of that team. Mm. Has a new baby in the house. Only what two weeks old? 
I don't know. Very, very young when he when he came to the the tournament. Very little. He had the highest strengths of strength of schedule for the weekend. So he played the hardest games. His opponent's total score across the weekend averaged out at seventy seven out of a possible hundred. And he still managed to win a draw and three losses. Mm. So he still scored a bunch of points for the team. And um, yeah, he had the hardest weekend of anyone according to the data. So um, actually two of the Toy Soldier Cartel end up in that space. But obviously this is partly dictated by how their pairings are matched yeah, as well. Yeah, that's right. <coughs> um, because the people... So the people who are in the higher end of the ranking are always going to have a stronger strength of schedule. Yeah. Or a higher strength of schedule. But the team that wins will not have the highest strength of schedule. Well, because this is paired as well, it gets even more grey. Yeah. Because if I scroll down here searching for, um, like, the first Dice in Combat squad, um, he's finishing, like, 12th out of strength of schedule, out of 120, so he's still in the top 10%. Mm. Um, that's Connor with 65.6 being the average score of all of his opponents added together. Yeah. Which is still considerable in terms of round points. But we have to go down to probably 20-somethingth to find Pete from the Hellfish before we hit strength of schedule for that, for that particular team. Whereas I think most of the other teams are represented there. And the reason for that is just that if, it's, if you're in the winning team, then obviously you're considered to be the, um, I guess, the stronger players in the room. So you're the toughest opponent. So therefore you can't have the strongest strength of schedule because you're not playing yourself. It's the people who are playing against you who are going to have a higher strength of schedule. Yeah, but I mean, also, like I say, because there's the highest ranked team mm. doesn't... Like, the ranking for the team doesn't affect the individual strength of schedule. It does to some degree, well, yeah, but not, not the same as in a singles event. Yeah. So, um, you know, we had really good finish. We had a whole bunch of players who... Um, we're very tired by the end of the the weekend. <laughs> it's, um, yeah. It was a very long weekend, despite only being five games. We had a huge number of players show up at the start to try and help us because um, another special shout-out to Tom from Amazing Forge who delivered us 200-odd buildings. Um, and then when they didn't work, took them all back then assembled them, undercoated them, and base-coated them for us and delivered them back to us so we could use them. Yeah. Um, the downside of that meant we couldn't sort them before the event, which meant that we had a team of helpers trying to sort them out on the tables. Um, I just... The morning of that event, if you if you were there and you didn't hear the lead-up, which you know, I'm sure you would have heard Michael <clears throat> sharing what an awful start to the uh, day yeah. it was. But it was terrible. So we we had got a different way of trying to put the train out because of everything that had happened. We hadn't been able to sort it by table, which is the way that we normally do. But I'd got a plan for how we could make that work. But it was still something different. And so with that, um, I guess we've been doing things the way that we normally do them for the last six years. Mm. So it feels really quite comfortable. And, um, you know, particularly for WATC, we know that things are labelled, you know, one A, B, C, D, E, how many we need to yeah. get up to six so you know we've got we know that these are table these go on row one these go on row two these go on row three and you know we've separated out with two too light too medium too heavy we're all good to go we couldn't do that this year because we didn't actually have the terrain in order to sort it 
So we'd got a system that we were going to work with, but it was it was something different for us. So that, I guess, brings some additional stress and anxiety around how is this actually going to work. But at least we had a plan. So I thought we were going to be okay going into it. And we got people who were coming to help, which I was really appreciative of. But at six o'clock we got there and um, the cleaners were turning up at the same time. There'd been a party there the night before. Well, the night before was the first hurdles. Well, yes. <laughs> but anyway, there'd been a party there the night before, which I think, I'm not sure if they managed to drink any of the alcohol or they just poured it all over the floor. Mm. Um, they'd had, I'm assuming, roast beef and gravy for dinner because half of it was still what well, the, table, the tables. The tables that weren't covered in pink and green slushy cocktails were covered in dried, congealed roast beef and gravy. Um, yeah, the floor was covered in everything. The kitchen was not great. The bathrooms weren't great. And the cleaners, instead of being finished by the time we got there, they were arriving at the time we got there. Mm. So all of that added up to basically we was probably started at least half an hour late with our setup. And then, you know, you were, you and Courtney were putting tables out. I was then trying to clean the tables. I had a great idea that rather than me going backwards and forwards to the kitchen and we didn't have a bucket, I'd use the vegetable crisper out of the bottom of the fridge. Which had holes all through which it. Which turns out wasn't water sealed. So then I created a flood. Which was, you know, just added to that when you did not cope with the stress of there being a flood on the floor particularly well. Um, so it was just so then by the time people were coming to to help put things out, you and I were not in a good state. I was way more stressed than I normally am, and um, yeah, it was just it just did not go smoothly. No, that that first day didn't feel like it was in control until about the third game. Oh no, I was fine as soon as. As soon as I got the briefing started, I was okay. I pulled it together then. We got the room set out. I was happy. Oh, see, we, I mean, we still had little things that sort of spotted and appeared all through the day. Yeah, but I can deal with the little things spotting and appearing throughout the day. I can deal with that. It's when we have a mass flood of things and, you know, um, we'd hired one of the additional rooms and, you know, to give us some additional space and some additional tables and then it turned out that another hirer had just left it set up so we couldn't access that room anymore. Like it was just one thing after another, after another, after another. So it was all just, it was all just a schmozzle. Mm. But once we got that cleaned up, I can put out spot fires. It's just when the whole damn building's burning down that I struggle. <laughs> well, you know, the building was burning down, but I'd flooded half of it. Well. <laughs> so. And then... Um, Figuratively speaking, it wasn't actually on fire. And then we had a similar sort of issue, although it wasn't as bad on, on the pack-up side of things because obviously we've got more time. Um, because we had no tubs to put all the new terrain in, so we had to put it all back in cardboard boxes. Mm. It went into... It, I think we must have packed it better because it went into less cardboard boxes than it came in. Mm. So that Oh, yeah, but I'd done things like I'd I'd sent some stuff home already. Not too much. Not Six so, boxes. Yeah, but I still had like... There were six of those boxes, though. Some of it was plastic tubs and bits and pieces. Mm. But we did, um, we did get it all home, which was great. Um, I haven't been game to start sorting it again because I'm going to have to pull out that's not in the trailer, is it? Yeah. It is? Only some of it. With all the rain that we've had? The trailer's sealed. Is it? Yeah. Mm. I'll deal with it. Yeah, I think we should check that. So, um... I burnt my finger. That was another thing that went wrong. I was trying to fix some... Um, oh, with the heat gun? Warped terrain, and I burnt my finger on a heat gun. 
That is true. It's very sore still. <laughs> Quite like some sympathy, please, honey. Uh, you had it on the day. I got nothing on the day. You were in too bad a mood. Yeah, it wasn't a bad mood. That's fine. You really were. Um, I think a lot of players over the weekend learned very quickly that, hey, we should really be checking our secondaries. Um, <laughs> normally... I just realised what... Yes. Oh normally we have in a player's pack, it says, if you pick two secondaries from the same category, you lose the highest of the two scores. Mm. In WA, clearly, whatever mood I was in when I was writing the players' pack was mirrored for the day because for some reason I wrote in the WATC players' pack that if you pick two from the same category, you get zero for both. Or in one player's um, situation, you get zero for all, all three. three. Yeah. So we had a number of players over the weekend, and some of them were very experienced players, picking two from the same category and getting zero as a result. Now, I don't want to name names, but one player, he really did make me laugh. He did it in round one, picked two it, from the same category and got zero round, for both. Then round three as well? Yeah, round three was the three. Yeah. But then round four, which was the start of day two, he comes over and he goes, okay, Mike, just let me talk this through with you. Let me just double check. This one here, this doesn't count as this or this, does it? No, no, that's your that's the, the mission, um, mission specific, so that's fine. Okay, so I can use this and one from this category and one from this category. Yes, because they're from three different categories. That's the way it works. Okay, but if I've done it wrong, it's on you, and I get to keep <laughs> all three scores, don't I? The funny thing yes. was that he he won both the games where he got zeros. Yeah, he did. Yeah, it was just the the margin of difference was yeah. significantly smaller. Um, yeah, and. The, uh, no, I can't believe. I mean, he's he's not as active as he used to be in terms of tournaments, just due to his own situation. But I can't believe no one mentioned to him that he couldn't take all three codex specifics in the same game. Well, okay. <laughs> Apart from the fact for the round book... one, I can understand that. But for round three, he'd already had points stripped off him for the first uh, round. Well, so, but the thing is, he had it stripped from the first round because he took two from the same category. So what he thought? Okay, I won't take two. I'll take three. He didn't take three from the same category though. He just took three codex-specific ones, and the codex says you can only take one codex-specific one. Okay, all right. So fine. They're two. They are two different mistakes. It, yeah, okay. But either. I didn't but that. either way, and the funny thing was, he took the penalty on his chin and went, "Yep, that's fine. Not and a problem." He was really good-natured about it. He yeah. did at one point go, but I didn't. The, the, the players' pack says from the same category. These are three different categories, so. There's no penalties. I just can't like what do I what happens here? And I went, No, you're you're taking a zero for all three. Or I'm disqualifying you for the game. Which would you put I'll take the three zeros, thanks very much. Because <laughs> I still win. <laughs> <laughs> so um and all the guys there were a couple of little sort of team based penalties we had to issue as well for some errors that were made at table side. And they were sort of like a yellow card essential, like a first warning for the team that, hey guys, this is this has been misplayed to a point where it could have affected a game. But we've got two players who agreed on how it was played, two captains who were aware of it, and like the, it, it wasn't really something that I could go, hey, you're going to take a points penalty for. Um, it was more of a behavioural thing to make sure that we're checking when we need to check. Yeah, I, I don't want to say... I don't like the term behavioural thing. It was just a, look, stuff happens and we need to, you know, so we're documenting it type yeah. of thing. And I said it on the day at the event and, you know, part of the Facebook Lives that we did as well. These kinds of things, they do happen 
often, you know, mm. because people make mistakes and it's okay to make mistakes. So, but we handle these kinds of things really quite discreetly and quietly and, you know, we didn't, at no point did we stop the, you know, and as much as I'm laughing about the people who've made the mistakes with the secondaries as well, at no point did we stop the whole game and go, ah, uh, everyone, if we could just look over here, now he's made this mistake, so if we can all point and laugh, mm. you know, or stop the game to go, I just want to let you all know that we've issued a penalty to this particular team because this person has done something that's incorrect. And um, you know, so that kind of stuff. No, and I mean, look, the players who did manage to, to stuff up their secondaries had their teams in the break often tell their opponents in a, like, haha, you know. Yeah, and I'm, you know, it's often reinforced to me the difference between men and women. <laughs> <laughs> women would be reassuring, men not so much. Learn there's from more, your mistakes, boy. More, well, <laughs> with some name calling thrown in there as well. But I guess what I my point is that. If you don't see us dealing with things or handling things, that doesn't mean that it didn't happen. Mm. It just means that things are handled discreetly in a way that isn't meant to shame or embarrass people. No. And in, in because the we want this to be a positive experience for everyone. And in the event that something serious happened in terms of actual cheating, then that would be documented and an official statement released rather than it being done yeah. half-assed. But so, that hasn't happened. No, it hasn't. But I just want to make it clear that we wouldn't hide that sort of inf- that sort of stuff. It would be made public. Yeah. But for the minor infractions and stuff, they're documented for us so that we keep an eye on those issues. And if they happen again, then obviously we've got a pattern of behaviour at that point. So I really enjoyed the the stuff ups for the secondaries. That was my favourite thing of the whole weekend because there were players who, um, one player. And it was a captain of one of the teams, came to me and, and it was the first one of the weekend. It was game one. And he came to me and went, hey, Mike, what happens if I pick two from the same category? I said, well, I, I, players packs normally, you lose the highest one, but I'll just double check what WATCs is. Oh, you lose both. And he went, oh, I've got this strat that lets me change my secondaries. And I went, you do? I didn't know that existed. Oh, it's from this brand new codex. Oh, cool. Let me have a read. And um, it's from the Thousand Sons book. And I hadn't delved into the stratagems because I don't play Thousand Sons. And I went, oh, that's really cool. And he said, so can I use that to fix the error? And I said, well, not really. Hmm. What turn are we on? And he said, oh, we're we're in turn two. I said, yeah, this is done pre-game before the game starts because it's you use this stratagem when you're declaring your, like when you reveal your secondaries to your opponent. So then you get to see what your opponent's chosen. Okay. And you can swap one of yours for another one if you think it'll benefit you. Yeah. The fact we're well in, like we're past turn one, we're into turn two. Mm. No, you, you can't use the strat, mate. Nice try, though. <laughs> Appreciate your enthusiasm, yeah. but no. Oh, I do okay. like a good loophole. Are you sure? And I went, yeah, I'm sure. And it was almost like the floodgates opened because we had it happen a few times. And, um,. Yeah, there were there were some very experienced players mm. who made that mistake, and it just goes to show that in the heat of com- competition, it can be a very easy mistake to make because it doesn't matter whether you're a rookie or someone who's been playing for years. Double checking that stuff before you sort of get underway is really important, and especially when you're tired. Yeah, game. Well, I suppose game one you could be game tired one you're tired. Yeah. <laughs> Depends on I what was time tired you, at the start of game one. Depends on what time you got up to p- finish painting or gluing stuff together. What or, time you went? Did you go to bed the night before? Yeah. So, 
Yeah, I think that um, that's just highlighted something for me to just double check it. Like, mm. there's nothing stopping you when you finish writing them down and going, okay, these are the three I'm taking. Let's just double check. Particularly with the codex specific, specific ones because a lot of people don't realize they have a category attached to them. Mm. And that's where players often get caught out, which is exactly what happened with the captain in round one. Yeah. Um, he didn't realize that one of the ones, the codex specific ones he took was in the same category. Mm. So, you know, it's just a good reminder for us all. On a totally different note, mm-hmm. can I just suggest to players that perhaps they should think about buying one of the um, Obsec hoodies that gets your name put on it? <laughs> because the number of hoodies, like I'd suggest to people at the start of, you know, all the time, it's really important to label your clothes. Imagine that you're, you know, you're in year one or two and you're going to swimming lessons and you need to label all of your clothes. And the reason for that is because at the e- end of every event, we go home with a massive box full of people's hoodies, jumpers, all sorts of things. Now, it's very easy, the ones that have got people's names on. Um, so, you know, because we were at a team event, a lot of the a lot of the things that were left behind did actually have people's names on. Yeah. They were printed on them. Um, and one person had written his name on the tags, which was awesome. Um, although I think his friends made fun of him for it, but I think <laughs> it was brilliant. Uh, but, you know, the people who had their name on their shirts got their shirts back. Yeah. We do still have a couple of jackets here that um, we couldn't get rid of. Yeah. But we do from every event. Yeah. And no one ever asked for them. Maybe we put photos we up put of photos things. photos up. We take them to other events. And, yeah, we keep them for however long and share photos and then I... Eventually go to Good Sammy's. Well, I'd leave them to the homeless people who live in the park near my work. But anyway. They go somewhere. They go somewhere. Um, I want to talk quickly about the times and the turns. Mm -hmm. Three-hour rounds with 15 minutes of pairing time. One thing I noticed with the pairing, I would tell everyone, right, the round timer has started. It's three hours and 15 minutes. And then I was making a habit of going around and telling, particularly on day two, hey, guys, we're now at three hours. Oh, now can I just say something about that? (coughs) Yeah. If you're playing a game and it's one of our events and somebody that isn't one of us comes around and tells you how long is left, maybe don't consider it to be gospel. I know that the coaches were approaching me for some of the teams and asking and then they were telling their teams, which I think is perfectly reasonable. Yes. But, you know, for which game was it? I can't remember which game it was, but I went around to everyone and said, half an hour left, you know, Make sure, yep. you know, whatever, but 30 minutes left, you're all good, 30 minutes left and making sure, nope, I need eye contact so I can tell you it's 30 minutes left. I need to make sure you all know it's 30 minutes left, 30 minutes. And then one guy goes, what do you mean 30 minutes left? We had a guy come around 20 minutes ago and tell us that there was 25 minutes left and we've got five minutes left. Well, I can tell you that you've got 30 minutes left. And they got, then got really quite upset because they felt like, they rushed things and not done things the way that they would have done if they'd known that at the time this person had come around, they had much longer left. So I said, well, who was it? I don't know. I've never seen him before. <laughs> so, you know, I checked with a couple of other people. They're like, yeah, yeah, someone came around and told us that we only... Right, okay, mm. that's odd. That's interesting. Yeah, it was interesting. So I encourage you, if you're not sure, ask us. Yeah. And, you know, trust your captain. Absolutely. Mm. So, average turns. Mm. And again, this gets tricky. Well, I'm really pleased with this. Okay, great. Let's be pleased and excited. Three hours, 15-minute rounds. Yes. Uh, there's one one player that's errored, and it says the average turns are zero. 
oh, he's also the one that... He's 100 for 100. Defeated, yeah. um, I went back in and had a quick look at his games mm. and he got five turns in all of them. Okay, right. So I don't know what's going on there. We had one player who averaged three turns and that was a big horde army. And then there are about 30 players who are on 4 to 4.2, 4.5, 4.75, 4.8 turns. And then everyone else is five turns. Okay, scroll down. Everyone else. 13? This is page one of three. Oh, right. Okay. There's 120 players, remember? Yeah, I thought that that's not very many out of the 120 <laughs> to only have 13 that got... No, and yeah. look, realistically, anything that's above 4.5, 4.5 and higher is probably still five turns because that, to me, says someone got tabled. So when you take out 4.5 and over, you're left with like 13 players, I think it is, out of 120. So 10% of the room. I thought it was only 11, but yeah. Roughly 10% of the room. Mm. That probably only averaged four turns. Yeah. And again, we don't know why they only averaged four turns. It could have been. They could still have been tabled or tabled, you know. um, And the funny thing is a lot of these players, like there's one player here whose average time was two hours 33, but he only averaged 4.2 turns. That tells me that he was tabled. Mm, I don't know. Because that player won every game. If he won every game, why didn't he get five turns? Well, that could mean he was only getting to turn four. And so, say, for out of his five games, yeah, if he's gone five turns in one game and four turns in the other four... Yeah, never mind. Then he's 4.2. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was actually going... I was thinking if he tabled his opponents... Then he would get five then turns. he would get five turns. So, that was yeah. my why didn't he get five turns was... Yeah. So, I actually think in reality I'm really pleased with... The field, like three hours feels like a good number that gets everyone finished. Mm. The average time... Okay, now I know that there are a fair amount of people who think that three hours is too long. Well, based on the data, the the lowest average time was two hours and 24. And there are only seven players who are under two and a half hours on average. Mm Mm-hmm. We get a whole bunch in the two and a half to two and three quarter. Yeah. And I reckon there's probably, I reckon at least half the field still taking three hours. Yeah, I was just looking at it and saying that it would be... Or close enough to three hours that it doesn't make any difference. So, well, let's, can you just scroll up for a minute? I'm just trying to see how many are at 2.45 or less on that page. None. Oh, none. So that... So there's fifty. So there's fifty players on page one mm. who are two forty five or less. Yeah. So less than half the field are finishing in an hour, two and three quarter hours. Mm. And if we cut it off at say two thirty, anything over two thirty is going to realistically be a two forty five finish by the time they do all the scoring. Yeah. When you cut it back to two thirty, you're literally talking about ten Six players. players. So it feels to me, I reckon if we average this out, because we also, the flip side of that is we do have probably 20 players who averaged over three hours. And that's partly to do with the fact that obviously with the pairing time, if they get paired and go and start straight away, then they obviously can pick up that time. It's also to do with when they hit submit on the data. Yeah. So, And that's the tricky part because, you know, we've got some players who are on 
two hours and thirty minutes or two hours. So was that was that a two hour game? Actually, yeah, exactly. So, like, there's there's players here. Um, a great example is um, Rob from the Stonecutters. Mm. He won all. Well, he's four wins and a draw. Yeah. So he's essentially undefeated. He's Average turns was four point three, and his average time was three oh nine, which which to me says every game went to time mm. to three hours, and of his five games, only two of them hit turn five. That's basically what that tells me. So Rob's a four to five turn player in that time, and there's a couple of guys like that who are experienced players who are playing complex armies. Um that aren't finishing. Mm. So when you flip it on its head though and look at the ones that are finishing, you then have to start going, well, the guy with the lowest, average five turns, average time is two hours 24. He won four of his five games. Mm. So now the question is, is he tabling his opponents? And unfortunately, without actually going in and um, individual rounds and working that out, it's hard to go yeah. through that process and is it the pairing that's manipulating that as well because then you also have guys um, Jay who's four wins and a draw average five turns average time two hours 27 so he's not losing games so is he being paired in and just smashing face and that's why the games are finishing early it's it's a hard one to monitor for this sort of event it really is and <clears throat> And there's really experienced players here who are taking a long time and really inexperienced players who are taking a long time. Uh, that's exactly what I was just <clears throat> literally just about to say was it's it doesn't seem to be relevant to or related to the experience level or even the size of the armies. No. There are some, you know, there's an orc army there that I can see that's finishing four and a half in... Three hours. Three hour, it's three flat hours, three hours. Yeah. If I flip it, didn't realise you changed it. <laughs> changed it again. Well, look, we've got a, an orc army here. Yeah. That is four wins and a loss, averaging five turns and two hours twenty eight. Yeah. And I mean, okay, Matt is a very experienced orc player. Mm. He's been playing them in the old. Yeah, codex but that's for- exactly the point, though, isn't it? People talk about orcs and go, "Oh, well, you know, orc players." Have to players- chess clock him. Have to chess clock him. Exactly, but you can say Matt's finishing. You know, he's finishing all of his rounds, all of his turns, five turns. In two and a half hours. Yeah. And what's interesting, when you look and at... And winning. So, it's not like he's being tabled and... Yeah, and getting five yeah. turns. Yeah. I mean, when you look at the longest times, um, it's not even a faction-based thing because they're actually quite varied. You've got mm. Town, Necrons, Death Guard, Craftwood Order, Admech, Drakari, Admech, Necrons, Admech, Demons, Drakari, Orcs, Sisters, Admech, Drakari, Guard, Sisters, Sisters. And the ones that are overrepresented, like Drakari and Admech... They're overrepresented for the whole field, so yeah, having that's it. having seen them shot more often here doesn't necessarily mean it's no, the army. No, I reckon if you go back to the faster ones, you'll see you'll them see represented the same thing. exactly the same. Exactly. So there's definitely it definitely doesn't feel like there's any rhyme or reason to the faction specifically. No, and I'm just having a look at the who the players are as well, and like, yeah, they're you know these players are experienced players. Look, don't get me there. wrong. There's there's a couple there from Beyond Team Delta. It's their first tournament. Yeah. In terms of this sort of event, they're still averaging 4.5 or higher turns. Mm. It just means their games are going to time. And their you know, 4.75 turns tells me that they they probably had four games that went to turn five or th- at least three games that went to turn five. Yes. So, 
but while you while we're looking at the fact that there's two there from beyond Team Delta, there's also some players there. Who oh, the Dyson Combat Squad has someone there. I wasn't actually going to say their the names. Stone, the Stone Cutters are there. Like the Hellfish are there. Like all the top teams are there. Yeah. So, is that a result of the fact that they like I said um, with the pairings when I was telling everyone that the pairings timer had started. Mm. It was the top teams that were still pairing when the round timer was already active. So, was it a case of us going, you're three hours, 15 minutes, and a lot of the time, the lower end teams were paired and done and underway by the time I said three hours. And the higher end teams were going five minutes, 10 minutes in, having a little powwow, and the game timer was still running, obviously. Mm. So, is, is the average time and average turns reflective of the fact that they... They weren't getting three hours. They were getting two hours 45. And do we need to then look at going, well, you know what? You've got 15 minutes from the time I say go. After that, it's random. And force teams to get it done so that their players can't then... For me, I don't think so. I think we're That just feels that, like too much nannying to me. Yeah. And, you know, if they're choosing to use their game time to do that, well, then that's their choice. Yeah. Providing it's not negatively impacting the, their opponents because they're wasting time. Um, but well, that's I, it. As long as the the power is a couple of minutes, and as, well, as long as the pairing process is processing, yeah, I think as well that well for me, what it shows, and it's something that we've talked about before, that we when we see inexperienced players, then when they're only looking at one layer of strategy, then things can move faster. Yeah, um, and I, I think that when you've got inexperienced players, it can go the other way as well. The um, you know that deer in the headlights. Yeah, I was going to say analysis paralysis, but yeah, that deer in the headlights type thing of, oh God, what do I do? And I've never faced this army before and there's so many of them. How are there this many models on my opponent's opponent's army? And, you know, but then when we have more experienced players, they're not just looking at the one layer of strategy. They're looking at multiple layers of strategy. They're looking at ways that they can control the board. They're looking at ways that they can control secondaries as well as primaries. They're looking at you know, just so many different things and then also trying to, rather than just going, well, this is the secondary that I'm hoping to achieve, trying to work out, well, what's my opponent likely to do now and what can I do that's likely to mitigate, you know, so there's a lot more thinking that goes into it which can slow that process down for them. And even the pairings process is... Yeah, for all the same reasons. Yeah. I mean the. Um, I know what he plays. I know the way that he normally plays this, and based on what I've seen in the past from what this person does, I actually think that, the, you know, not whereas. Oh look, there's, there were teams there with algorithms and stuff where they'd input a data to try and get it to the, the computer to help them yeah. pick it, and there were people with scrap bits of paper, and there were people who were drawing names out of a hat. That's it. Um, you go from everything down to you know some of the some of the teams knew who they were likely to be playing in those final rounds. And they'd gone through and instead of a traffic light system, they were using some kind of polygon with 12 different, <laughs> you know, 12 different shades of the rainbow to try and work out. It's it? always fun watching that happen because you see teams start with red, green and yellow or red, green and orange, red, green and yellow, yellow. Amber, it's orange. It's yellow. It's orange, but... Anyway, anyway. and then someone goes, oh, it's not a red, it can maybe. be an orange. Or maybe it's a pink. And then someone will go, well, I think I win it, but it's not a big win, so I need a lime green. And then someone will go, oh, that's not just a green. That's like a super it's green. A so, green. So now it's blue because blue yeah. means I always win that game. And then someone else will go, well, 
it's not a it, it's a it's not an orange because I don't always lose it, but it's not a yellow because I don't always draw it either. So it needs to be like a light orange, not a dark orange, because it's probably a loss, but it's a close loss. And then someone else will say, "Oh, I but- need a black. Is there a black? <laughs> it was brown." All right. Brown was. Yeah. Brown was. This is a poo. Where, where it's going? <laughs> this belongs in the toilet. Please yeah. don't don't hurt me. And you watch those teams trying to do that, and then the you, you, you know, know. I, I guess I saw everything from. Um, then you, you know, got people who actually guess their scores. That's well, exactly what I was. Gonna I think say. I'm going to score at least forty on the primary, and by taking these three secondaries, which I control, which the opponent doesn't impact, I'm, I'm going to score to at least thirty-seven points, which yeah. means that my total is going to be at least seventy-seven. And I can I can deny I can deny the primary on, on this, yeah. and I can, which means I'm predicting this final score is fifteen five. Yeah, and even having been part of that sort of process as well, your own justifications on how you get that score could be, your team could agree with them or disagree with them, and you could still be completely right or completely wrong. Yeah, because and there's too there's too many other variables. So, but we saw everything from you know from that level of. I want you to go through every player that's in the room and tell me how you think you'll go against them with yeah fifteen five and with variances based on missions and table layouts yeah. and yeah. all of that to people who are just like eeny meeny miny mo yeah. that one yeah. and put- even down to which table to put the put your um, team on as well you know yeah it- and so, you know we had it last year with players going well if I'm on that table my you know, my player can't move these models. Well, then, dude, don't, don't put, don't them on put that him player. on that table. Yeah, you need to. That's part of the matchup process. So all of those things go into it, and when you've got more experienced players, they really go into all of that stuff. Whereas some of the newer players, are like, well, oh, that's pretty. And I think the um, one of the things I've noticed over running these events and then being part of it as well on the national level is the analytics will get you to a point and by the the flip side of that the gut feeling is will also get you to a point based on experience and knowledge the best version is a hybrid of the two where you can take the data you've got use it to get a core plan in place and then adjust that based on your own instincts and experience and the data you can gather so for day two for example yeah look i hear what like going, you're saying, going into day two you can actually go into down and pairings and go cool if i were the hellfish yeah. i know i'm playing the dice and combat squad day two yeah so going into down and pairings and seeing who they played, seeing the scores, seeing the order of loadings to see how they paired into who, yeah, but I don't gives actually, me data, gives me information. It gives you data and it gives you information. I don't know that it is gut feeling. I think that you go through. What's well, intuition and? I don't know that it is intuition. I think you actually go through and you do, you do your own form of analysis, but because you're not putting it on paper, you're still doing it. It's not. Oh, magic eight ball says I win. <laughs> you know, like it's still going through based on what I know of this team, based on what I've seen, based on what I know of my players. Then this is what I think is going to happen, and this is where I think that they're going to do their matchups because I can see in down under pairings that this is how they've the, they've gone through that matchup process in the past, and you know, so it's not. You may not have it on paper, but I still think it's part of that analysis process rather than well, it's also, gut feeling. But it's also about being able to read the captain on the fly as well, and the pair, like as they're doing the pairings and understand the psychology of the way they've selected what they've selected. But again, I don't think that's gut feeling. I think that's part of it. Is all analysis? It's not tangible analysis, though. That you can't. It would be. 
if you stopped and you actually wrote it down, it makes it tangible and measurable. You don't stop and you don't write anything down. Therefore, it's not measurable and it feels airy-fairy. But it's actually not I'm everything. I'm not an airy-fairy person. Yeah, okay. To me, it feels airy-fairy, but I am an airy-fairy person. <laughs> um, but I do not celebrate when you don't write damn stuff down because it living in your head does not help me. But I, So perhaps airy-fairy is the wrong choice of words to use for you. It doesn't feel concrete to you because it's not written down. It's not gut feeling and intuition. It's still based on qualitative data. Well, it's based on experience. Or quantitative data. Experience and reading people is the way I'd interpret it. But I don't think it is reading people. I, as When I've done pairings before as captain, it's 100%. I've looked at the team, we've looked at all the matchups and gone, if we can make this happen, this is the outcome. And then as they start the pairing process, you go, yeah, this is this is what's going to happen based on... Yeah, but that's not reading people. That's That's using the data that you have in front of you. Well... Some of it is, but there's parts of it that I can't I can't really explain properly. That you kind of go, oh, would they risk this? Would they not risk this? Do you play it safe or not? This is what I think they'll do. Can we gamble on that? Well, we have to gamble on that. Let's do that. So I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to explain. I know, and I'm trying to find a way to articulate what I'm trying to say as well. It's not like. You're not using kinesiology where you're, you know, using the body to give you answers and things like that. No. You're... I'm not throwing, like, bones into pools of blood and trying to read the entrails of pigs. I am not in any way <laughs> suggesting that kinesiology is, like, throwing bones into pools of blood. Just, you know, just in case anybody heard me sa- heard that. That is not what I said at all. Um, it's... You're not... You're using the experience of the way that people are making decisions and inferring that they're going to continue with that pattern. Or predicting when they're not, which is what I'm getting at, is the pattern says this should happen, but I don't think this is going to happen because I know the captain who's doing the pairings and I know the players that he's got under his control and I know that they're going to try and achieve this to force this. So therefore... The numbers say we should do this because this is the pattern they've used. But, like... Anyway, we've yeah. talked about this for way too long. There's I don't know. lots of things that go into the pairing <laughs> process. We would love to hear from any of the teams who came along with their pairings. How did you guys go with your pairings? How accurate were your predictions? Did you guys win more than you lost? Did you pair into greens and get slammed? Did, did you, you pair into reds and And win? smash, yeah. Which I know that... You know, I know that definitely happened. I can't remember. I talked to a lot of people over the weekend. But a fair few of them said, you know, I had that down as a red and did really well. Wasn't expecting. You know, it was a solid red. Could you stop playing with your beard? Because it's really distracting. I I had someone comment on the live stream that it was this sort of evil moustache twirl like the villain. So I kind of like that now. Okay, well, I don't. (laughs) So you need to stop it. (laughs) You've pulled me off my train of thought. Move on. Pairing into reds, really bad score, and then they won it. Yeah, good on them. Well done. Move on. <laughs> see, this pop filter is good for something. You can't see my beard behind it. <laughs> Sadly, I can still see the rest of your face. Oh, thanks very much. <laughs> no problem. So, um, 
you can check out the photo. Emma posted a show reel of all the photos that, well, not all of them. I haven't done the show reel yet. I'm still no, working sorry. on that. She's done the photos on some of the photos on our yet. website, and you can go to Down Under Pairings if you go to events in Down Under Pairings and then hit include completed. Oh, did I not put, not put a link to it in the? I'm blog not sure. Sh- I'm not did sure I if you did. To, but but if you hit include completed, and I think we're on about page four. Yeah, page four. Of the whole database. Just copy it and put it into the blog post. Or you can just search the name. Just copy it W-A-T-C. and put it into the blog post and put it into the show notes. If you put WATC in, it comes up. Okay, he's not going to copy it and put it into the blog nope, post and the show notes. <laughs> you suck. So, you can still go and check out all the lists mm-hmm. by going to the event. You can... Um, I think you can still find the lists as the... I think it's the second version or the third version of the PDF that was generated um, in the event if you go to Facebook. And you can still ask questions in that event um, if you're interested in something specific that you happen to see going through the event. If you spot anyone who did double up on their secondaries that wasn't penalized, it's a bit late now. We tried to catch them and we try and... Part of the process between rounds in an ideal world is us going through and just eyeing off the games. But when there's 60 games going through and you've got 10 minutes or 15 minutes to turn it around, sometimes you don't get that. So we catch as much as we possibly can. The captains also should be checking the scores before they submit. Mm. So we caught a lot of them, but I'm not promising that we did miss one or two still kicking around in there. Um, I think we caught all the important ones in terms of podium. Yeah. Um, if you're interested in coming to 2022's WATC, um, stay tuned because we don't know when that's going to be. It'll probably be roughly the same time yeah. in 2022, somewhere around September. That feels like a good time of year. Feels like a good time. Um, we are hoping that 2022 will let us see some of the East Coast teams come along, which we're sadly unable to this this year. And um, we'd love to see the event continue to grow. We can support sixty. We can support 120 players by ourselves now, mm. but we have some fantab- fantastic support in the community that would allow us to accommodate at least four more teams. Mm. Plenty of room. So, yeah, we'd love to see you. If you're interested in forming up a team, start thinking about it now. Grab your mates and start asking questions or jump onto the Opposite Gamers page or into one of the Perth 40K groups or something and say, hey, we've got four guys who are looking at WATC 2022. Does anyone want to join us? Mm. And start you know, building those relationships now and getting ready for it. And we've seen some great teams form as a result of quote-unquote misfits by one of the players. I think you called them the rejects. Yeah. I know that because it's in my video reel. Oh, is it? Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so quickly before you go on. Yeah. Frustrations from the weekend or from the event? Um, oh, look, this this setup was shockingly painful. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, from a... Like, we ran on time. Well, I think we were five minutes behind on day one and we ran on time day two. Mm. Um. So a lot, a lot of it's the logistics side of things in terms of getting the stuff there and packing and unpacking and the actual event itself is pretty smooth. We had a few, a handful of rules queries that were unusual, but nothing too crazy. And part of that is because we'd obviously ruled on a bunch of them pre-event, particularly mm. in regards to the Orc book, um, which then either didn't come up, weren't used, yeah. or like were never questioned. Mm. So... Yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like most of it's actually logistically driven and I don't know how much how much more we could have done to try and make that easier on ourselves. My frustration 
mm. yet again is that I don't know how many times I said it. Like I say it, I, I feel like a broken record. I get exceptionally frustrated to hear after that people are saying that somebody has done something wrong, but hasn't they haven't come to see us? Yeah, no one's pulled them up. Happening. Yeah. So yeah, that's it. Nobody's pulled it, pulled them up, and you know these are experienced people. These like nobody's pulled them up as it's happening. Nobody's gone. Hey, what happened there? Talk talk to me about what's happening at the moment. And and you know we talk through ways that you can do that, ways that you can be curious, ways that you can do that in a non-inflammatory way that's likely to be better received to try and reduce some of the anxiety around actually having to have what can feel like a confrontation and ways to do that to be curious rather than confrontational. Um, but to hear people still going, oh well, I think this person did this. I can't be sure because you know I only saw part of it, but I think that this might have happened. What do you want me to do with that? Yeah. Like, honestly, what do you want me to do with that? After the fact as it's, well. That's it. So, an event that we work exceptionally hard at to try and create something that's awesome for the Perth community and really proud of and really fantastic that we're creating an event with 120 players from all over Western Australia. Like, it's fantastic. I'm still wanting a Cal team. The Cal guys are... I'm very disappointed Cal didn't come. <laughs> um, but, you know, people We're travel, hopeful. We are very. People travel for it from all over Western Australia we were supposed to have people from the eastern states and sadly, you know, the world conspired against us. Um, but then at the end of that, to have that soured because somebody comes up and go and to gossip because they think that they might have seen something that could have possibly happened and then go, are you going to talk to them about it? Based on what? You know what? You know when I could have talked to them about it? When it was happening. That's when I could have talked to them about it. That's when I could do something. But right now... All I've got is I think I might have seen something that might not have been okay. Mm. So that's my frustration. Stop well, doing it. <laughs> do you know the other one that was interesting to hear over the weekend? Mm. Chess clocks. Mm. The amount of players who were really against chess clocks when they first started showing up in the last 18 months. There's now people who are, who are against it who are now using them and demanding death clock rules. Because I've got 45 minutes left. He's out of time. What happens? Mm. And... While I don't think a hard death clock is the answer, I'm at the point where we've got an overwhelming, certainly on the top top half of the field, are certainly all for adding chess clocks. Chess clocks or death clocks? Well, the use of a chess clock, as in the device, the chess clock, but a big portion of them, including players who've always said they were against it, are now going, we want some sort of penalty for you running out of time and then me having 45 minutes on the clock and then us not finishing the game and me not getting my five turns when I would have. And We're coming to the end of an episode and yeah. I feel like that's a whole conversation where I need all of my brain cells firing. <laughs> that's why I'm bringing it up now. Um, no, it's just interesting to hear the, the, the change in tone for the quote-unquote competitive events with players... Now sort of going, well, if we want to make this a competitive event, then why shouldn't there be equal times? And not necessarily a hard death clock, but I've, I've seen versions of a soft death clock where you can't do anything voluntary, but you can still make saves and that sort of thing. Mm. Um, but it's just interesting hearing the perspective change for some players who were very much against it, who are now arguing for it. I'm, you know, I'm against death clocks. 
at the same time, I don't see a purpose of having a chess clock. I really don't. I don't see the purpose of it if you're not using it as a death clock. Because as what a does TO, it do? As a TO, it actually was really good for me to have those on multiple tables because when someone came and said, I've got a problem, and they did, I got to go over to the table and go, cool, what turn are we on? Bottom of three. How come one player's got 50 minutes and you've got three? Yeah. What's, yeah. And it let me proactively manage some of the games? It, yes, I hear that. But what it, it doesn't give you an opportunity to then go, okay, well, three games in a row you've had this. So what does that mean? But there was not. There's nothing in there around. No, that. and that's or why I want to run out of time. There's no. There's nothing in the players' pack that says that says what happens if a player runs out of time. No, do and you have to give a player part of your turn? Well, you do only, because only, there's nothing in there that says. Well, that's that you it. Don't. I only had it happen twice, and one of those games was on turn four when the the game ended because they'd started the clock wrong, and the other one, one player had forty five minutes left. The other had hit zero. The, that was on on track with the round timer. Mm. They were mid turn five with forty five minutes to go, and at that point, my concern was more: is the game going to end naturally? The answer is yes. Cool. Then giving him the extra three minutes to finish his assault phase for the two combats that are still remaining, and then you getting forty four minutes to finish your turn five before the the game ends naturally. That's okay. And I feel like that was the best compromise I could come up with at the time. Uh, yeah, look, and 100%. But where's your limit? And that's what I'm saying is Do that... you go, okay, this, well, actually, you finish that now. So you get five minutes of what's left on the clock? Or do you get half of what's left on the clock? And, and that's what I'm saying. It was used for me to make judgment calls to try and ensure games completed. Whereas I can see a version of it for next year where it's, it's not the full-blown... You auto fail all your saves. You auto fail all like you're not allowed to roll any dice, mm. which is what a proper death clock would be. It would be you don't get to do anything. Your opponent declares they're shooting at something. As long as they hit and wound, you can't roll save, so you die. I would encourage something that allowed you to roll saving throws, um, and something that would still force you to take morale tests and sort of the basic stuff that you ha- that are mandatory that you have to do. But in your opponent's turn, you wouldn't be allowed to fight back because that's a. Even though fighting is a mandatory thing, you shouldn't be allowed to use your opponent's time to benefit yourself, if that makes sense. Like, you shouldn't be allowed to use beneficial time. Hmm. So, I don't know what it looks like yet, but like I say, it was more interesting for me to hear players who were really against it now kind of going, no, for this sort of event, we want it. And yet I saw players who were really for it putting away their death clock, putting away their chest clocks. Yeah, and I think for some players it was about how comfortable they felt with their opponent and whether they thought they would complete the game. Whereas I think setting an expectation of the top three rows or the top four rows requiring it so that we don't have a situation where the final game in the final round is allowed to go over so far so because we wanted to have... Yeah. All six games complete so that there was no conversation around, I only got to turn three, therefore I should have won. Um, I would much rather, add, you know, the top tables, 100% in my mind for that event, need to be death clocked. See, I thought the same thing and then I was like, but why only the top tables? And this is why I sort of go, like the top half of the field probably needs it. Why? Why don't the bottom half need it? Isn't it important where they finish? It is, Absolutely. So why don't they need it? Why is it okay most if of the their f- opponents... Well, most of the feedback I got 
saw, and this is the interesting part because of the way it's seated. Mm. So if you say right, and because it's seated, when do you start introducing the death clocks? Yeah. But I had a lot of players from the lower tier teams who were realistic enough to go, we're never going to be near the top. They felt confident and comfortable to finish their games. And the data shows that most players are finishing. Mm. So, you know, do you need chess clocks at all if you know that 90% of the games are getting to turn five? I don't know. But I, I, think, do, I do know there are I outliers know, that feel like... Uh, I really them. feel like I was I was wrapping up with what was your what are your frustrations what are your celebrations and we've gone down a rabbit hole. Yep. And this really needs a proper conversation, not five minutes. Let's wrap it up because we're finishing the episode. But for me, I don't think that you can have one rule for some for part of the room and one rule for the for the rest of the room. Because I will confidently I can say that I think that we'll finish this game. And what happens halfway through if it turns out that actually you can't? Mm. So, then what? You're going to bring it in halfway through? Yeah. And what do you do it in the final round for everyone to secure your final position? Do you only position? do it in the final round? Or do you do it just for day two? Or do you... Like, I, I don't know what the answer is to that stuff and I'd be interested to hear what the community thinks about it as well, um, particularly if you're playing WA events. I know there's lots of places around the world that are just adding them as a, a standard thing. Um, now, it'd be interesting to see how it's enforced at something like LVO or the London GT and whether it is enforced as a you have to do it or whether it's a you can work with your opponent and choose to do it or whether it's... And then if you do end up with it, is it a death clock? Is it a chess clock? Is it a hard death clock or a soft death clock? Or, you know, what what does it look like? Because there is an ITC code of chess clock and there is a WTC version of it as well, which is what ours is modelled on. And it's it's something that I'd be... Like you hear about it, oh, you know, the big events use chess clocks. Is it every table? Is it the top 50 tables? And how are they using them? Yeah. You know, because we've had some some players who there's a chess clock running, but no one's flicking it backwards or forwards. The amount of times that I've been to a table and gone, hey, you've got nothing and he's got like an hour and a half left. What's going on? And it's like, oh, we've got to flip it over, so it's fine. Mm. At that point, if you're going to go down the road of putting some sort of death clock in, you also have to have a penalty that says... It's both players' responsibility to flick it over, and if one player clocks out, then there's got to be a penalty for both. If you if you go, we both forgot to flip it, then there's got to be some sort of penalty applied because you can't then just shrug and go, oh, well, you're out of time, I get an hour, because that's not fair either. Anyway. Okay, celebrations. What were your highlights from the event? We had a really great finish. I was really worried that we weren't going to have a 1-2 a finish, but we did. And it was the best sort of finish because it was only as we were hitting the end that I... Re- so normally when we do a fixed 1-2 finish, mm. I go in in the final round and for those individual players, I just stack their battle points so that... Or their round points, sorry. So that they can only finish one and two. Yeah. And it normally involves me adding three round points to yeah. both their scores because that way, win or lose, we end up with a definitive 1-2. And then I realized that I couldn't do that for a team event in Down and Pairings. Ah. You can't give the team a modifier. And I thought, oh dear. Because that could mean that when I hit publish in Down and Pairings, if one team loses, yeah. they don't get a 1-2 finish potentially because they're on four four wins and a loss and there yeah, are two other teams on four wins and a loss. And then they both drew. So it didn't matter because they were both on nine round points. So that was a win. <laughs> I'll, t- I'll take my little wins. Yeah. 
Um, the camaraderie in the room was really good. And the ringers who filled in for multiple teams for different reasons were all really openly accepted and supported by those teams, yeah. which was awesome to see. And also by the opponents as well. Yeah. It's some... Um, Despite it being a competitive event, it goes to show that the community we have is, is really inclusive and accepting. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, those players who did stand in and help out those teams for, you know, we had one guy with food poisoning on day one. We had another guy who had to bring his baby day two. Um, those feelings meant no one got to buy. Yeah. So just to clarify with that, um, Jai got food poisoning on day one and so he had three people fill in for him. Uh, so that was Dan, Lachlan and Stella yep. filled in. And then Zane brought his baby on day two, but he didn't play no, he those didn't. games. So, um, it was his army in. there. and His uh, army was there and Lachlan filled in for him. Yep. So. And then like Dan stepped in and played one of the games for Albany on... Was it Albany? No. Who did he play for? He stepped in for one... Um, no, it was. He, he did play a game for Albany. He played a game for Albany at the start. But I don't think it was. I don't think he finished for Albany. I know that we had two. Oh no, he played for tactical something oh, the, squad. The totally incredible tactical squad. Yeah. And then we had, um, yeah, like we we had players just step in and play one game here and yeah. there, which was awesome. So we really appreciate that. And we um, we had one. I think the final game we posted it online, and one of our followers went, "Yeah, I'll come down and play a game. Mm. Cool. And that was awesome. We really appreciate that. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I just really appreciated the fact that, you know, we had teams that were a player or two short and other players have stepped in to fill those shoes and they were welcomed as part of the team, whether it was before the event or during the event. Mm. It was really awesome to see. Yeah. What about you? Uh, I really enjoyed that um, people were, you know, there was so many people in the room that there were new players there. Obviously, uh, you know, there were some players in the room who have played for six different um, WATCs now, which is all we've run. So, you know, they keep coming back year after year and having, was it how many, 20 players come up from, 21 players come up from Albany, something like that was really, that's really, 20, no, sorry, from Bunbury. 22 from Bunbury. I'm sure he said 21. Oh. But anyway, um, you know, so lots of players. He would and be then Albany, <laughs> um, Albany, Bunbury, you know, they're coming from kind of all over is really exciting. People wanted their parents to come and watch them. Mm -hmm. So there were parents in the room. There were wives in the room. There were girlfriends in the room. There were friends in the room. That, you know, that was really cool. And then uh, I did a, you know, a couple of players agreed to do some videos with me, um, which was, you know, so it was, it's always really interesting asking players, what brings you, what makes you come back to this? Or what, how come you've come to your, fir your very first yeah. WATC what is it that you love about these events? And um, so I really appreciate that people did that. And I also really loved that while I was walking around with the camera videoing and people didn't know I was videoing, they were posing for the photo. And then I just kept videoing and they're going, did you get it? Did you get it? I'm like, I'm still getting it. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, there was one you did of Earl that I saw you were working on the show reel where he's looking at the camera and, you know, kind of doing the peace sign. Yeah, yeah. And then he's still doing it. And then he's still doing it. And then he's still doing it. And I'm going, what the hell is this? So, <laughs> so. <laughs> those kinds of things bring me joy. And, but some of the, um, you know, the bloopers from the show reels are really funny as well. So, you know, I was, uh, 
was honoured and you were um, asking me questions and you said, who am I? And I introduced myself as Emma Obsek. I'm yeah. like, oh, you yeah, know, that's not my name. <laughs> <laughs> or, um, yeah, you were whispering the questions. I'm like, I can't actually hear you. But, you know, just the different bloopers for that were quite fun as well. Look, it'll be interesting to see when it's come out because I'm not going to see it before it's released. Most, oh, actually, I probably will, but only because I'll be the one uploading it. Yeah. So Emma's been mucking around with that for over a week now, but between work and other yeah. commitments, it's it's on a low priority in terms of completion. It is. So. But it's fun. Hmm. Yeah. But it was, I think it was, overall it was a really fun weekend. And the other thing that I absolutely loved was uh, the Saturday at lunchtime seeing the Oval filled with gamers outside in the sunshine set having a picnic. <laughs> that was really lovely. All the cricketers looking on and going, what the hell is this? Well, there weren't many cricketers there, to be fair. No, I mean, we had one of our one of our players. Uh, had a, well, the one of the, the, the guys from the cricket team came in for a drink at lunchtime on day one as a result of the morning. Um, we had a little fender bender at the start of the day. So, you know, even the even the cricketers got in on it a little bit at the end. Mm. Well, we've covered a lot in this episode and I feel like there's more we could go back to. So, we're going to wrap it up now. Mm-hmm. And um, Are we wrapping up now or are we coming back? We're going to do, uh, do the outro in a second, but, right. we're, but we're going to go more back streets back and then we'll be back in a second. So wrapping up, episode 98, we're done. Mm. WATC has come and gone and I'm already getting questions for 2022, which is terrifying. We know that we're going to get Black Templars very shortly and then two more books by the end of the year. Rumour has it it's Custodes and Gene Silicolt. And all the rumours that are published and circulating on Reddit and those other spots with sample rules and everything like that. When you go back through those that same person's post, everything they've said so far has been true. So, we could get a new Custodes book and Gene Stiller Colt book by the end of the year, which is kind of exciting. And then I'm hoping that 2022 sees Craftworld and Chaos get the love that they deserve because they've they've kind of hung out in the the shadows for quite some time now in terms of model releases and rules. Mm. So, 2022's WATC could be a very interesting beast when we now have the majority of, like we hopefully by then will have the majority of books updated and be playing a much fuller version of ninth edition. Um, before then though, we've got doubles on the 24th of October. Tickets mm-hmm. are up now for that. And I've got a revised players pack. I want to publish probably by Saturday night this weekend, um, which will be like what the 25th or something of Saturday is the 25th. That's right. Yeah. So we'll, um, you know, just to tidy up some of the, the first version was a, a rough draft based on last year's, but last year's was also crusade. So we have, Kind of have oh, to tidy yeah, we it up. Definitely have to tidy that up. Um, we've then got a one-day spring invasion in November, um, and then Masters. It's I not. That's December. Isn't yeah, it? it's December, but I'm just going. Is it ten eleven? I think it's ten eleven. Mm. Um, which is kind of the end of the season, and then I'll hopefully have some dates for First Blood very shortly as well, because I'm already getting questions about that. Yeah, we do need to sit down and work out our 2022. Schedule. Yep. At this point, 
show won't be coming back for 2022. No, again, we've had more questions about that. We do still have the Iron Signet happening on... At the Devil's event. Yep, on the 24th of October. So I think it's $5 per entry to the competition. Okay, so just to clarify, the Iron Signet is a painting competition that's run by the West Oz Miniature Painters, so WOMP. Uh, West Oz Miniature Painters Group, which is on Facebook, and I don't believe they've got a, a website. So. Um, and yeah, so it's five dollars to enter that, and it is um, across a range of different categories and categories. Yeah, so we've we've got one of the rooms at the Kelmscott Hall that they're using for the event this year. Mm-hmm. And with that, you're not judged against the other people who are in the room, so you're judged against the standard. So um, I think you're judged silver or gold you know so uh, yeah so you judge as to whether or not you reach a silver standard or a gold standard or you don't reach that yeah Yeah. um and so basically every so it's not like there's going to be one winner uh and they've got such a huge range of categories historics and all sorts and sponsors this year yeah there's lots of sponsors coming in with different prizes so that's really exciting i don't are they doing painting workshops I know that there was a plan to, yeah. Um, but I haven't had any firm plans given to me. I know that I've got to do a phone conference, a teleconference with them at some point in the next few days to finalise some of that. A teleconference? You're going to chat to them on Discord, Discord. or Zoom? Yeah. yeah. <sighs> teleconference, Jesus. <laughs> God. Um, so, yeah, look, be sure to check it out. So that Yeah, that's coming up at Doubles. So, you can, obviously, if you're coming to Doubles, you can put an entry in and check it out. If you're not coming to doubles... They had like 98 entries last year, mm. which is really exciting. Yeah, I think they're hoping for double that this year. Mm. They may need more tables. Yeah. Um, the good thing is with doubles, we need half the tables we normally do. Yeah, um, that is brilliant. So Lots of room. Yeah. We've so. also got... Um, I know that they've come in and seen the guys at Hobby Tech in Myrie. They came and said hello to me and then I directed them to go and talk to Hobby Tech mm. about some sponsorship as well. And they've been releasing sponsors and bits and pieces on the yeah. on the Iron Signet page and on the West Oz Miniatures Painters page as well on Facebook. So there'll be links to both of those. I assume they're doing the rings again? Uh, yeah, I believe so, yeah. Which are really cool. I'll see if I can find a photo of Lachlan's that he won last year in the Youngbloods category. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's on the same date as our doubles event. Yep. Um, doubles, initially doubles was a mixed doubles event. And uh, just if you haven't heard this before... The background for doubles was at our very first Masters event, there were quite a few women who came to support the men in their lives. Um, And when I was chatting to them, they were saying that they play, but they don't feel comfortable coming to an event because, you know, there's often only one or two women in the room. Um, And so it feels quite daunting coming into that space. And, you know, they don't know if they're good enough or, um, you know, whatever that might be, whatever's stopping them. So the intention was to try and create a soft entry point into coming to events where they could come along, be partnered with somebody who they know who's already playing and then perhaps feel a little bit more comfortable coming in and playing that event and then going on to play other events if they so wish. So initially it was supposed to be for um, mixed gendered teams. And now it's... And now, so then as as guess as time has progressed, I've realised that actually it's not just women who feel uncomfortable coming to events. Sometimes it's newer players feel uncomfortable or it's returning players feel uncomfortable or just you know people might not know what it feels like to come to a tournament. And mm-hmm. so having that supported entry into that where you can come and do this with a mate 
Um, so, yeah, it's open to teams. Ideally, that mixed team is somebody who's more experienced than somebody else. Yeah, it doesn't have to be, but... It doesn't have to be. But really, we're trying to create this as a way to bring people who might feel uncomfortable coming into events into events. We're also this year going to be a bit more heavy-handed when it comes to managing the um, the army lists. Yeah, I think that's something that's come up a few times. So, for example, down in Albany, which is supposed to be a chilled, relaxed type event where people took Masters events. What was it? Masters 2.0? Yeah. It was re- renamed. So, definitely something to think about. And I think with the... Look, one of my favourite lists I've heard so far. and For doubles? For doubles. Mm-hmm. Is uh, orcs and guard using Gazgul and Yarrick from Old Baalai as the two warlords? At the moment, you can't do it because the players pack bans supreme commanders, which Gazgul uh, is, but Yarrick isn't. Yeah. So I'm kind of I'm torn because I want to allow that, but at yeah. the same time, I can't kind of make an exception for one, and mm. you know, so I might encourage them to take a a pre Gazgul Gazgul, as in. Hey, why don't you take an orc war boss in Mega Armor? And this is before, like, this is when they first met, not the current not versions now, of them. Yeah. Um, because we want to make sure that you're not getting ruffle stomped by super competitive lists when the it's meant to be a bit more like an opportunity to use random units and cool stuff and have some less serious games. And again, because it is supposed to be about trying to get people who perhaps aren't experienced with events to come to events. We don't want them to be hyper-competitive. Yeah, um, like you're going to see people who bring their collections or who bring Get Started or Start Collecting yeah, Boxes. And say, they're not necessarily their collections, but the only models that they yeah. have. And so, you know, consider that when you're writing your armies. Yeah. Um, one last event I want to mention before we sign off is the West Oz Iron Man that's being run by the Toy Soldier Cartel in conjunction Iron with Kidal Tavern. That's on Saturday the 9th of October. Mm-hmm. Um. Courtney has said to me he's happy for me to play or he's happy for me to stream. He just happy for me to turn up. Mm. And I don't know what we've got on that weekend. That's our son's birthday party. On Saturday the 9th? Yeah. Well, that's okay. What do you mean that's okay? Well, you can do that. Can I? <laughs> the look on your face is otherwise. <laughs> part, of the, part of the issue is the logistics of getting them to and from places. Um, but also, part of the issue is, I'm not sure I can do that by myself. <laughs> I can run events for 500 people, but I'm not sure that I'm okay to have 10 teen boys here by myself. <laughs> that feels like a little bit too much. Mm. How about I go and stream? <laughs> you go and play. And you can stay here. We'll tag team in. Five games. Anyway, um, I know that they've still got spots. So if you're interested in playing five games in one day, it is a long day, but it is a fun day. They are shorter games. So if you are intending to go along and play, um, make sure you write a list. Move faster. Make sure you've got a list that's appropriate for your own abilities and speed. Because realistically, the two hour and 15 time limit is really... Two hours 15. To get it all in, it's two hours 15. And the reality of that is it's more like... It's more like two hours. Because by the time you get to the table, set the objectives up, pick your secondaries... Faff around with deployment, it's two hours. So don't be turning up with an army you've never played before. Don't be turning up with something that you're not confident with. Don't be turning up with more models than you can handle and roll dice for. Yeah. Um, this is not the event for that. This is an event where you go in knowing exactly what your plan is, knowing what you're doing, 
Um, because from memory, they also, for Battleforge, for their events, yeah. instead of giving 10 points for fully painted, you get two points for every battle round completed. So if you only finish three rounds, you get six points instead of ten. Yeah. So there is an incentive to finish turns. I've just thought of another, um, not necessarily frustration, but something else that we need to make sure. So I'm asking, is this in our players' pack? Mm-hmm. Is it in our players' pack that all players need to bring standard dice with them? It was at one... I don't know if it's there at the moment. There was a clause in there at one point. So the reason that I'm asking that is because I think that as far as... Inclusion goes, we had a player who was at WATC Colour, yeah, who colorblind. was colourblind. And then it turns out that one of the players refused to change the dice he was using. And the so the colourblind opponent couldn't actually read the dice because of that colourblindness. So I think that, uh, I know we've spoken about it in episodes that we've done around where we've spoken about dice. And the importance of making sure that those dice are clearly readable, clearly, yeah, clearly readable and clearly yeah. defined where the pips are and those kinds of things. Um, but something that I do want to make sure that we are incorporating is making sure that if your opponent can't read the dice that you've got, then you need to use standard dice. I know at one point it was in there. It's not in the 2021 WATC, but it's something I'll have to include going forward. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, it is it is important to make it as easy for your opponent as possible. And that includes, I mean, dyslexia is a real thing that a lot of people are affected by to some degree. And a wall Are you of- suggesting that colorblindness isn't? Well, I know that's not what you're <laughs> suggesting. I'm just teasing you. Um, I suppose we hear more about dyslexia than we do about people who are colorblind. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's just important that, you know, having multiple dice, with some with sixes and some with ones. and um, it, it, there Some is, with pips, some with numbers, some with... Or even worse, there's those dice that have a symbol on every side yeah. and you're left going, what the hell does that mean? Yeah. So... You know, maybe um, our bucket of dice that we've slowly been building up over the last six years has to come with us to events and separate them into blocks so that if someone struggles, we have some generic dice that can be loaned out. Yes, but at the same time... I'd rather encourage players to I have backups. Players, yeah. I, have, I have four sets of dice that come with me to tournaments. And I know that we've covered that before. I think we certainly covered it. So if you haven't seen, we've got a YouTube, uh, was it four or five different episodes What's that in the we bag. do? What's in the bag around what we... Um, what you take to tournaments and so there's one episode which is specifically on dice where we do talk about the importance of having dice that are nice and easy to read and um, and you do talk about the fact that you've got four different kinds of dice in the bag and how many of each of those dice that you take with you but it is something to really be aware of that when you are rolling the dice make sure you're rolling you know rolling in a way that your opponent can see those dice and you're not you're doing it at a speed you know, when you're talking about you've only got two hours and 15 minutes, you do, but your opponent still needs to see your dice. Yeah. So you can't be just Transparency of play and, is just as important. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And more so. Absolutely. Mm. All right. Um, let's leave it there because I've got two more penitent engines that are sat here waiting for me to finish gluing them. Have you seen these cool models? No. Who doesn't want a buzzsaw for hands? Yeah, I don't. Oh, I didn't, I didn't get to show you. So th- there's the sarcophagus that goes on the front of it. Mm. they fully sculpt the chick that goes inside it and then cover her up. Wow. Like, she's full detail and everything. But you only get to see the syringes that go in the side of the sarcophagus. That seems a bit ridiculous. It is. Um, As for the the models. Buzzsaw for hands, I think toileting might be tricky. Oh, she's not. She's she's strapped well, into this thing, so she's never she's getting dead, out. No, no, she's alive. All right, nice. Yeah, it's 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 a penitent engine for a reason. Not nice mm. to be there. Okay, so point. I'm on a sister's thing. Uh, 
and as, a great night thing. As we are wrapping up, Look, if you haven't got your shiny. tickets yet for <laughs> doubles. Mixed Doubles, please buy tickets for Mixed Doubles. Now, it's one ticket between two. It is. So It, it pays for the team. That's it. So you don't have to buy an $80 ticket each. No, it's... So one ticket covers one ticket both of you. And then after you buy your ticket, you go into Down Under Pairings and, and your register your team and then you add your players to your team. Yep. Uh, and then are the two tickets available for Spring Incursion spring and... Spring Invasion. Spring Invasion. Yes, all the tickets are available. If you're a patron, the patron's tickets for those three events will be up on the weekend. Get on that. We had WATC. I put all the tickets up before WATC to the public and went, I'll deal with that after WATC. It's now after WATC, so now I'm dealing with it. Mm. Also, I'm hopefully going to be able to announce when we do our first patrons round-robin tournaments shortly. Great. I don't yeah. know when we're fitting it in. I wanted to do it before the end of the year, but the end of the year gets fuller and fuller by the day. Yes. So um, that might be early January instead. Okay, awesome. And are we doing just 40K or are we doing AOS? Well, I'm going to be sending some messages to some people because I want to try and get AOS doubles happening for October as well. Oh, yeah, cool. And maybe look at doing a patrons for AOS 3. That would be awesome. You know what else would be awesome? What's that? Doing a doing an Underworlds event. Yeah. Um, I, well, I can try it. I can email them back and see if we can get another Grand Clash happening. We should do that in June next year. Hmm. If you're interested in, um, maybe we'll put that out there in the community and see what sort of um, uptake, because I know that we have to send some information off to get a Grand Clash happening. Whether they're even doing them at the moment, I don't know. We'll find out. Still running an event, can't we? But it's nice to get the glass. It's all it about is, the glass. It is, and the special fancy and the cards, cards and, and that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, most definitely. All right, I'll ask. All right. We're done. I'm going to start choking on air, so, yeah. <laughs> Pulling that weird face again. Yeah. All right, we're done. Take care, guys. We'll see you at the next event. Happy gaming, everyone. You've been listening to the Objective Secured podcast. If you'd like to get in touch, you can visit our website, objectivesecured.com.au. You can find us on Facebook, Facebook forward slash Objective Secured, or you can email us, obsec at optusnet.com.au. Thanks for listening. <laughs>